0: First century 0079, as the one-year war rages on, mass production of Goddamn!
1: Welcome to the show that has more razor blades and evanescent CDs than your local hot topic. Yep. <laughs> Gundam at MAHQ. So 21, now legal to drink in the United States. <laughs> this is Chris, and I'm joined as always by... Neo. And Sobro Ryu. So uh, what the hell are we doing today?
2: I know that we are basically doing another supersized review segment, so this is going to be kind of a show killer episode. Uh... We're Episode doing.
3: 21 should be no less.
2: Yes, we should do, we're be, which we'll be covering, uh, what is it? It's uh, episodes 10 through 19 of Macross Frontier. And we'll be also getting into the eighth installment of the ongoing Gundam Roundup, which uh, this one will be uh, Mobile Suit Victory Gundam. And uh, we actually take a little bit more different approach on uh, this Gundam Roundup than we did in previous ones and for obvious reasons. But I guess I will. I'm dying to hear some Neo's news. I guess I will jump right, right in, Breaking, breaking news. Actually kind of quiet on the old news front. Um, uh, I know that some of these stories are courtesy of um, GundamNews.net. The official Japanese website for Gundam 00 had updated some of the character profiles, and they actually have a nice translation on GundamNews.net. Um, mostly, you know, things about what they're... Looking like what they're wearing and some of their <laughs> allegiances. No, that's basically what it is. Uh, but the, we do, we get the normal characters. They've updated some things for Sergei, Soma Paris, Wang Lumei, um, Sumeragi, um, Luis. And there's a couple new ones in here. There's a Klaus Grad, and he is uh, one of the leaders of the anti government force Kat- Kataran. And I guess he has a strong will to oppose the disordered control of the uh, Elos. Then we have uh, a little blurb about Regina Regetta, uh, which was the character, the kind of Tiara girl lookalike that we saw at the end of the uh, first season. Right. Where she's wearing the same clothing as uh, Ribbons was before and you know has the same features as, as Tiara. Season two, we're going to be introduced to Andrei Smirnoff, who is the son of Sergei Smirnov, the wild bear of Russia. He's a second lieutenant in the Federation forces, so... They also posted up there that the official site for uh, Gundam versus Gundam has uh, is now live, and if you go to, from their link there on Gundamnews.net, you can actually uh, go on there. It's in Japanese, but you know you can definitely see a lot of the pictures and some of the things that are going to be in there. In addition, there was some uh, some new info and pics that went up on the. Uh, Gundam Meisters Double O game, the PS2 game that's coming out. Cool. And if you go to gpara.com, they have some of the info and, and some of the new picks up there. But uh, I'm going to kind of go to a um, an article that I got off of um, Anime News Network. And this episode is re- recording on s- September 21st on a Sunday. And September 20th uh, was the actual last uh, day of Toonami being shown on Cartoon Network. No way. Um, Cartoon Network had revealed at the Georgia's Anime Weekend Atlantic Convention that it was going to end the Toonami programming block after 11 years. Uh, the official announcement was made during the final run of that night, and with there was an important message that was going to be shown during the 10.30 to 11 p.m. time slot, Naruto's been the only Japanese series in the Saturday evening block recently. Just talk about how it was used. Uh, Toonami was used to host a variety of Japanese animated programs when it began as the weekly block back in 1997. Of course, everyone knows Voltron, Robotech, Dragon Ball, Ronin Warriors, G Force, Blue Submarine Six, Tenshi Moyu, Dot Hack Sign. Uh, the list just kind of goes on and on. The Toonami Jetstream online service will still continue, so you can still get things off of that. Cartoon Network is working to import the Japanese animated Powerpuff Girls Z, which I've seen, which is the Japanese version of the Powerpuff Girls show. Which oh, is man. Pretty awesome. <laughs> it's an awesome show. But uh, I guess last night, the two episodes of Naruto that were sch- scheduled were shown. And uh, next week, they're going to be showing the first Spider Man film during that time slot. So they're also going to show the Gotham Knight, Batman the Gotham Knight. Then they're going to be doing some other things. So they're going to be showing an episode of Naruto later on. You know, some of the information of what they're going to be doing on that block from now on is kind of um, sketchy. Well, they just haven't really released what they're going to do yet. So, R.I.P. Tudami. It was a good 11 years. Well, actually, probably a good seven years. It's kind of sad to see that go, but um, it wasn't really a destination TV anymore, and they weren't really showing much. So, you know, it's just kind of the the change in things.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wasn't. I stopped watching *Tsunami* after a couple of years. I mean, after a couple of years, after it kind of got out of the the phase of shows that we were interested in. But dang, man, it's, that's that's an end of an era, though. Quite honestly. Well, yeah. and I guess
2: Soul Bro, that brings us to the other thing that you wanted to say briefly, and just yeah. kind of do it. And I'm well, sure because it's already been on Mecha Talk and everything well, yeah, like that. But now that
3: you brought it, now that you brought up the whole *Tsunami* thing. I guess it makes sense over or Cartoon Network's overall plans of how they're treating anime, where they pushed. Um,
2: and then I will Code. go into and then I will go into my retort. Oh, so no, go ahead and say what you have to say. No
3: doubt. Uh, I I I guess it's it's no, it's not a shock that Code Geass was pushed to um was pushed to five in the morning, <laughs> um and that the, you know they're showing they're focusing on shows like Full Metal Alchemist, which is you know was a bona fide hit when it first came out, but you know now you know they're just putting it on for an hour just to fill time so they can get you know some some ratings, I guess. And I I I I. I was just gonna rant about, you know, what the heck are they doing? But I guess it's obvious now that um they're phasing enemy out of the the whole challenge. Please don't rant.
1: I want to go. eat dinner. Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Well, um, if anything though, um, it's a sad day. And uh, what what else did you have to? I
2: just was gonna say on the retort because I had heard this on Mecha Talk forums not too long ago, probably about a week ago before it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just kind of done with all the conspiracy theories and all of the things that everybody that doesn't work at Cartoon Network knows what they're going to do. And to be honest with you, if they haven't really been a destination for certain shows for a long time, and there's other ways of seeing these shows. And, and really, to be honest with you, if you're sick and tired of what they're doing, just don't support them anymore. Because I see a lot of these guys are like, well, you know, I still watch them, but I got to watch all these crappy shows. Well, you know what? If you feel that strongly about something, just don't watch it. And you know what? Stop. I mean, you're going to have double O on sci fi. You have Gurren Log in there. Uh, there's other ways of seeing this sh- these shows now. This isn't 1997 and yeah. the only way that we can see them. So I think everybody just kind of needs to redirect their uh, focus and all their energy that they have to, um, you know, rant about this stuff in just more constructive ways because I'm just kind of. Done hearing it, so Uh, Chris. Any anything on that last note before we move? Move. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. But um, got a couple listener uh, submitted topics, and I wow. I all I got to say is based on the ability of Mobile Suit Pundum, I'm starting to get a a flood of these things. Just a couple quick little things. Uh, This is courtesy of our friend Demon Lord of L5. He had submitted to me that there's going to be the uh, COE booth at the London MCM Expo, and they're going to be having a playable demo of the... Uh, Dynasty Warriors Gundam Part 2. It's coming, I guess, this um, this expo is after the Tokyo Game Show, and I guess that's when they're going to be unveiling uh, Dynasty Warriors Gundam 2, along with Warriors Orochi 2, and that's for the PS3 and for the 360. So, any of our... um any of our British friends, if you have a chance to go to the London MCM Expo, uh, definitely go check that out. That's going to be held on the 25th and 26th of October. Go check that out, guys. Some more things we have here. Our friend Destiny Gundam, old Pedo Bear there, uh, has told us that there's going to be, uh, there's a newest uh, uh, Super Robot Wars game that's going to be coming out uh, on, it's going to be released on October, or September 25th. It's uh, Super Robot Wars Z. The series that are included in there is going to be uh, Gravion, and Grav. Way Richard debuts, cool. and um, Aquarian and Overman King Gainer are going to be de- debu- debuting in this game, along with um, Eureka Seven, um, Orgus. Baldus, God Sigma, uh, the Zeta Gundam movies, uh, Gundam C Destiny, and the second season of Big O are going to be all the debut suits in there. Wow! Along with those suits, you're going to have suits from Shars Counterattack, Gundam X, Turn A, Grendizer, Getter Robo G, the Big O first season, Mazinger Z, Great Mazinger, uh, Zabungle uh, Daytron 3 and Zambot 3. And this has got, I guess this is the Super Robot Wars game with the most debuting series. It's worth the note that even though Stars Counter-Attack is listed, there's only, it's only including some of the mechs, uh, mainly just the, uh, the Red Sea and the new Gundam. Be looking for that. There's going to be some new two rival characters in that. So for all you fans of the Super Robot Wars franchise, uh, circle your calendar for september 25th on the ps2 Two. uh lastly here um this is from our f- our other friend uh Armour nt the mobile suit gundam gundam vs gundam next the revised version of this year's gundam vs Gun- gundam ban presto announced this uh, not too long ago the gameplay engine is going to be modified and certain ms will be tweaked for balance purposes i guess there was a balance issue the first Gundam vs. Gundam, and it's going to feature all new mobile suits from the first game, including the PSP exclusives, and they're going to add 16 more, giving uh, the Gundam vs. Gundam next over 50 mobile suits from all Gundams. Uh, so far, the only four new units that have been confirmed are uh, Quattro Regina's uh, Hayeku the Noble Gundam from uh, G Gundam, uh, Duo Maxwell's Death Scythe Hell, nice. and uh, the Turn X. So And just on the last little part of uh, listener-submitted news, um,
0: <laughs>
2: the <laughs> um, this is m- mainly a made-up story, but this is from our friend Batosai28. He gave me, I think, for some WTF news. He says, combining Dynasty Warriors and Gundam, $60. Doing it twice, priceless. <laughs> kind of his take on uh, Dynasty Warriors Gundam 2. But um, other than that, that's pretty much the news right now. I don't have much else going on. So I'm gonna send it back off to you, Chris. Well,
1: there's uh, nothing else going on, so uh, we're just gonna take a break, and we'll be right back on Gundam at MHQ. What's up, y'all? Gundam. Damn.
3: Striking out on finding your favorite manga, anime, or series merchandise nearby or online? Lost when it comes to finding pop music from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian markets? Well, then Florida Oriental Trading is here to help. If you live in the Central Florida area, head on over to the intersection of Colonial Drive and Mills Avenue near downtown Orlando. You'll find FOT right next to the CVS Pharmacy. For those who live abroad, find out more about our favorite store online at FloridaOrientalTrading.com or call them directly at area code 407-895-0650. FOT carries a large selection of merchandise such as art books, t-shirts, posters, wall scrolls, soundtracks, PVC figurines, models, and much, much more. Also, it's a great place to find imports of your favorite musical artists and the latest films from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian countries. Last but not least, Florida Oriental Trading is not only home to the best selection of anime on DVD in Central Florida, but there you'll find a wide variety of manga too. On top of that, all of their manga is always priced at $20 percent less than retail daily 20 percent that's right frank 20 percent florida oriental trading is open every day except wednesdays from 10 a.m to 7 30 p.m eastern standard time you even find them open most holidays so if you're local stop on by and visit kwan and debbie or give them a call at area code 407-895-0650 and give them the business tell them gundam at mahq sent you
0: Suddenly there was a terrible roar all around us, and the sky was full of what looked like huge bats, all swooping and screeching and diving around the car. And a voice was screaming, hey, boy, Holy Jesus, Jesus where are these goddamn animals?"
1: Baby Toshtai so what you do by Want my heart and want my love. No more swing, kiss kiss. Welcome back to Gundam at MHQ. This is Chris. Time to get those uh, idle CDs and posters out. (laughs) We're uh, coming back to Macross Frontier with a whole set of mega reviews. So in this segment, we're going to be covering five episodes, picking up right where we left off. So without uh, wasting any more time, we're just going to jump right in and start with episode 10, Legend of Zero which uh, is a rather interesting episode for various reasons, which we'll get to after a brief summary. Uh, Basically, in the fleet, they're making a movie out of the recently declassified events with uh, Shin Kudo, the star of Macross Zero, and all of the events that took place in that series. Ranka, who's slowly growing in popularity, manages to get a role in the movie as uh, Mayan Girl B, or something like that. And uh, the winner of the Miss Macross Frontier contest actually is cast in the movie as Sarah Gnome. So you see quite a few um, Macross Frontier re-renditions of scenes from Zero. And, uh, of course, Alto gets roped into things as well because SMS's Valkyries are being used for uh, motion capture to be replaced in later with CG VF-Zero uh, Phoenix. So he's been roped into being in this movie. And, of course, Cheryl is involved because they want to use her music for the movie. And uh, through a series of events, uh, Ranka ends up getting recast as Mao because, number one, the actress playing Mao gets injured in a car accident when a berserk creature attacks it, which we'll get to in a minute. And then the very strange, enigmatic director of this movie, Bird Human, hears... Ranka singing Aimo and decide that she's perfect for the job. At the same time, uh, Alto gets roped into this movie because uh, they recognize him from his kabuki performances and he ends up getting cast doing an underwater stunt because the actor for Shin refuses to do underwater work. So while this is all going on, uh, Alto and Ranka, they get attacked by uh, this berserk Hydra, which is sort of this like sort of flying lion creature that comes from uh, Eden. And they get saved by Brera, who gets injured in the process and revealed that he has some some cyborg parts. Mm-hmm. Yep. But then he, he runs off. He gets a voice kind of from a woman telling him that uh, if he wants to get his pass back, he'll follow orders and not do things on his own like he just did. Meanwhile, you got Renka, who hasn't really decided whether she's going to take this part of, of Mao. But then she sees Cheryl kiss Alto, and that sort of makes up her mind, so she decides to do it. So you've got um, Alto suddenly realizing that the underwater scene he's doing is a kiss scene with Mao, which means he has to kiss Ranka. Boo. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It sucks sucks for him. So uh, they they do this this underwater kiss scene, which is straight out of episode, I believe, three of Macross Zero. And then um, after that, we have the premiere of the movie, and you've got... um, Ozma commenting on how ironic it is that uh, that Ranka is playing the part of of Dr. Mao, which will come back a lot later on in the show. But um, one of the interesting little tricks that this episode did was, since it ended, you know, with the movie credits, what you actually see are the episode's credits, and then yeah. with some more stuff with the characters. And now Ranka, of course, is is uh, on her way to superstardom because her song ended up as the theme of the movie and she had a very big role as Mao Gnome. So getting into what we thought of the episode, one of the things I thought was interesting is, you know, this whole idea of a movie in a franchise based on a previous entry in that franchise which for those who aren't familiar with Macross in its entirety, it was actually already done before because back in uh, Macross 7, the 11th episode, they're making yep. a movie about the original Space War and they end up casting uh, Basara and Mylene as um, Hikaru and Minmei. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that one went a little bit differently because all sorts of hijinks ensue and they get attacked by the Varuda and the movie kind of goes to hell. But it's interesting that they would choose to do it again, and this time focus on Macross Zero and make the very first clear connections with that
3: uh, with that series. So not only not only this episode is an homage, an obvious homage to Macross Zero, but it's also kind of an homage to the episode of Macross Seven. Kind of, kind of. Yeah. It's
0: yeah,
1: Very clearly where the idea came from, and also yeah. in Macross lore, there's just the further thing that um, in the Macross universe. Do you remember Love is a fictional movie based off of the events that happened in the original series, exactly. Which is kind of interesting. However, I should note that uh, the Do You Remember Love that came out in Japan, I mean, in uh, the Macross world, I think in the year 2030, is not exactly the same as our
2: Macross Do You You Remember Love
1: movie because it has some different things, such as a scene where uh, Maximilia get married. Oh, yeah. Which they actually show some of in that Macross 7 episode. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but anyway, that's neither here nor there. You know, a lot of people were wondering, you know, what connections would there be to Macross Zero since it was the immediate predecessor in terms of production to this series. Well, now we have them. Aside from, you know, the fact that, that uh, the story of Shin is now public after being classified for 50 years, you've got that bit with Ozma uh, talking about Dr. Mao which mm-hmm. we're not going to hear about again until a lot later on in the show, but it certainly, you know, piques people's interest and uh, at the very least establishes that, that Mao somehow was one of the lucky few to survive the Reign of Death from the Zentradi. But um, one of the things I found most interesting about the episode was um, just seeing all of these these site references. Uh, the Hydra creature is mentioned. That comes from, from Eden, so that's another... Uh, plus reference
2: plus,
1: yep. um one of the things i thought was amusing was this very odd director of the movie who never actually speaks and has an assistant <laughs> speak for him
2: <laughs> I, I, I yeah i noticed that too i
1: was kind of wondering if that uh sort of like is a joke about uh, shoji karamori because he's kind of an eccentric and um for those who don't know he's actually already had a uh, a cameo in Macross. uh if you watch uh do you remember love uh, right when the uh, attack begins and uh, Min Mei and Kaifun, they're uh, sitting like in the back room there in the, in the uh, concert hall. There's some like creepy-looking guy who like tries to lean in. He's sitting next to Minmei. He tries to get an autograph of her, but just then, uh, like the whole area shakes because the Zentradi are breaking into the ship. That's Shoji Kawamori. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! The, if you watch, he's the creepy guy trying to get Minmei's autograph.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. I remember that guy. I Just yeah. Didn't know that that was him.
1: That's Shoji Kawamori. So I'm kind of wondering if this kind of weird director guy is supposed to be him. Supposed to be like just a little parody of of Shoji Kawamori. But anyway, um, it was interesting seeing Brera, after being a mystery guy, finally reveal himself and show off that he's got some cyborg stuff going on. And um, obviously you got the romantic angle, the love triangle being played up with Alto kissing both Cheryl and Renka in the same episode. Right. So what did you guys think of uh, the episode?
2: Well, at first when I was... uh you know when when you saw the coming attractions for uh episode 9 uh for episode 10 i was a little worried uh i was like uh uh-oh but um i actually ended up enjoying it uh it was it was kind of a nice thing to come back and see um you know macross zero kind of done in a different light even though um you know it, it was kind of following the story it was still it seemed a little bit different than what the actual show was but um um you know, other than that, it was great to see that. It was nice to see that they're actually doing that connection, um, you know, with, um, Macross zero. And that's part of the kind of the continuity now of the, uh, of the Macross story. Um, also, you know, the, the, it was nice. It was kind of nice to see the love triangle get ramped up more, uh, you know, especially in, in this one, because, you know, like you said, he does kiss both girls. So, you know, feelings and all this stuff starting to go, but, um, definitely a pretty pretty uh enjoyable episode uh ended up being kind of the turning point for me for this show i'm i'm sure we'll go over it more when um you know um as as we progress with these reviews but i actually think it was kind of the turning point of kind of making the show a little bit different than some of the other matt crosses and you know some of my early fears of this uh of this show are uh definitely kind of uh gone but um other than that i mean pretty solid episode and um you know, it was nice to see them actually finish the movie, unlike what Chris said in Macross 7. They get attacked. What was it? They got attacked during the premiere, didn't they?
1: No, they got attacked during uh, the filming. That's right. They were, they That's were right. The big filming scene with... Uh,
2: That's right, because he had to... Uh, yeah, because it wasn't... Uh, Basura fighting, wasn't he dressed like uh, Hikaru?
1: Yeah, he was, he, and obviously this is like, just to show how fictionalized that whole thing was, you have Hikaru in his flight suit, in his Valkyrie with Minmei sitting in his lap singing, I think, do you remember, Love? Which obviously yeah. never happened at any point ever right, yeah. in either Daryl or the original series so that just kind of shows how fictionalized that, that account was and then they got attacked and he dumped the uh, weird props they used to kind of Crappily make his his Fire Valkyrie look like Hikaru's VF1, (laughs) which really made no sense because, like, they added, like, fake cardboard, like, super parts to it, but it was still, you know, painted red. And yeah. given that you have like all of these old geezers with like old Valkyries on the ship that we see like two or three episodes later, it makes me wonder why didn't they just borrow some of those? That's uh, what I'm saying. I don't know. Instead of like and... trying to poorly make uh, a VF-19 Excalibur look like a VF-1 Valkyrie. But hey, well, I guess we'll get to that when we discuss at <laughs> some, some point in the future. But uh,
2: but yeah, it was pretty nice to see them finally finish you know finish the movie and you know it was. Uh, it, you know, we get to see uh, you know, like you said, Ronka's star starting to um starting to, you know, get pro- glow brighter there. So um but other than that, not too much, Solbro.
3: Well just just a few things I, you guys pretty much hit almost all the uh, pretty much all the nails in the head with just some things I pointed at, I noticed in the episode that I like. Um I like the scene where um Alto is um giving acting pointers to um Ronka at one point. Yeah. Um, And, you know, he's not even realizing that, you know, acting is, you know, has been such a big point in his life that, you know, he'd suppressed it for so long, but it seemed to flow out of him naturally. And then when the man gets recognized as Princess Sakura, that's just that's that's just classic. (laughs) And, you know, he's just he's so embarrassed by that. Then um he gets to be Cole Seavers, gets to be a stuntman. That was awesome. I wanted to call him the fall guy. But um yeah when when um when they brought up the fact that he was doing an underwater scene I already knew where it was going right then and there because I remember that um scene from Macross Zero but uh it was neat to see uh it was neat to see Brera you know actively um intervene on um and saving Ronka when he gave that Hydra the DBZ punch <laughs> I loved it <laughs> I, I, I mainly like the direction in that scene how it just had that very fluid look. And you know the camera work, or i just say the way the scene was laid out was just it was very well animated uh, but even even when he cut the monster in twain, it was just it was pretty neat and uh, just to see Alto not able to do jack besides um
1: get a little couple shots in that weren't doing anything anyway, but uh you'd be one of overall if you to say that that scene was well animated was what? <laughs> it a lot of people complain about it because you know that action scene it has a lot of high fluidity in terms of the movement, yeah. Mm-hmm. The detail of the creature itself and the background drops to like absolutely nothing. To it c- does. So it a doesn't. People, a lot of people were bitching about that. It didn't really bother me that much because it's just yeah, not too but much a problem. A lot of people complained about that part. Well, it, it stood out from the rest of the episode, which is, you know,
3: standard <laughs> animation. Well, this one. Because <laughs> it was bad, though. It wasn't bad. I mean, it, it's not OVA quality, but I mean, it was the best besides the dogfight. Um, which yeah, besides the you know the the plane action, it was the best. It was the best um and 2D animated scene in the whole episode. But um you know it's the shows on the TV budget, so I can't really knock it for that. But a lot of otaku will, and a lot of um Japanese directors take it hard. I remember seeing an article on that when they when they get feedback on um when they get feedback on how well an animated uh, how well an episode of the show is animated, and they get chastised about a frame. <laughs> but otaku in japan are serious about that man they don't they don't cut him no slack they don't cut him any slack so but overall i i think it's one of my favorite episodes of the series and i really enjoyed it i thought it was um, a fun episode to watch
2: uh so which brings us to episode 11 which is entitled missing birthday oh yeah and basically we start out with um t- uh, kathy speaking with leon about kind of the cinderella story of ronka and kids are you know from uh what is it, Bert human, her popularity starting to soar, and her song and everything like that. And, uh, then we go over and we see Ronca. She's emailing Alto because she's going to say that she's been kind of busy, but she's going to take some time off because his birthday's coming up. And uh, later on, we see kind of the gang there with Michael and Cheryl and, and uh, your boy, Luca, um, uh, talking about, uh, Alto's <laughs> birthday and, uh, and some of the things that they want to do. And, you know, I guess, uh, and is wondering if, um, if, uh, um, a rock is going to be able to make it for uh, Alto's birthday. Uh, we kind of fast forward. We go we're on the we're on the Macross quarter now, and we see Ozma and Kathy talking. That uh, we find out that Cheryl's going to be doing a relief concert on a planet called Gallia Four, and it's uh, it's where an All Zentradi uh, nuns' unit's called the 33rd Marine Corps Station. Oh, and, man. And, uh they're just kind of talking they're talking I was thinking about how some of the things have gotten kind of weird lately about uh, especially about with the hydras and the Valkyrie that just keeps coming around the mysterious Valkyrie Brera's v- Valkyrie and Kathy says she's gonna go kind of do what she can to see if she can find out anything so um, we find out that you know the nuns pilots are gonna escort Cheryl to uh, Gallia three or Gallia four and Luca pulls up some information he says that the Atmosphere is breathable, but and the environment's not too great. But uh, I guess this was kind of interesting, and this would have been my first sign of trouble: is uh, the one day full tra- full travel time is now taking a week because of the full distortions. So. Yeah. Um, that was probably a red flag for them. Uh, we then we see Alto as uh, surprised by his adopted brother Yasuburo. He approaches him and wants to speak with Alto. You know, he kind of jabs at Alto, saying that he hasn't forgotten anything about acting because he was in uh, Bird Human. So they go and they start talking at a cafe, and Yasuburo tells that um, Alto's father Ronso, has recently collapsed, and that his father has something for Alto's birthday. And then we see Cheryl is with Grace and Cheryl's like sitting there drinking a drink and she drops it because she's starting to have a headache and Grace is telling her not to push herself too hard and telling her maybe she should think about uh, canceling the concert. So, but classic Cheryl, she wants to keep going on. And uh, later on we see that creepy Leon is informed by a person (laughs) known as G uh, that Cheryl's going to Gallia for. (laughs) Yeah, he's creepy. And gives um, you an
1: impression, Paul? <laughs>
2: <laughs> He's just creepy. My creepy spider sense just completely goes off. But um, then then we kind of get to we see Karan and we find out that uh, we find out a little bit more about the Zentradi's. Um, she talks that her and Nene are descendants of the first Zentradi's that joined humanity, and that there's another one who didn't do it. They kind of joined reluctantly after the first space war, and that's the thirty third Marine Corps, the one that they're going to have the relief concert on. So and uh, so we get a little bit more thing about you know the the Zentradi's, and not all of them were too. You know, didn't want to join the humans so quickly. So, um, then we see that uh, Rock is fa- uh, like kind of fantasizing about her kiss with Alto in the movie, and then she calls and she calls him to, uh, but he doesn't reach him and leaves him a message to meet her at Griffin Park for his birthday gift, and uh, then Alto returns he returns back to his house before his birthday and he's told that he won't be disinherited but he's told that if he returns home before his birthday uh, by Yasubura that his father won't disinherit him so Alta said he's not interested in it anymore and you know Yasubura actually makes a very interesting observation it's one of the things that kind of stood out for me in the whole show or the whole episode was he said that um, Alta couldn't leave the acting behind because acting is because he's acting the part of a pilot right now so um, I thought that was kind of interesting then we see Ronca, she goes to Griffin Park, and she's uh, disappointed to see Michael instead of Alto there. And um, we find out that Michael uh, tells Ronka that Alto's not able to come because he's on a job. And then we fast forward, we see that Cheryl, Cheryl shuttles leaving for Gallia 4, and Alto's flying uh, escorts on there and uh, then we have kind of a nice little exchange with them she 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 tells him to keep up with her and she's you know and then she thanks him for coming but she doesn't hear that he doesn't hear that part and then we uh, see creepy Leon again speaking <laughs> over the phone to G yeah, who we and I found out is actually Grace and she'll t- she tells him that she'll be in contact with him once we get back to Gallia 4. Uh, then we see Brera launching his VF27 and then at Griffin Park uh, a little green creature comes up to Raka. and pretty much the end so um kind of an interesting story uh, kind of an interesting episode um i like the fact that we kind of find out a little bit about the a little bit more about the zentratis um i also like thing that um alto's father is not we thought of him as being kind of pig-headed about you know alto becoming a pilot but he you know since he's collapsed recently and probably sees his own mortality he's um kind of offering a peace flag to alto but you know, once again, Alto being the stubborn protagonist, he's got to be, you know, stay true to everything. But, um, we, you know, we got to get introduced to Yosabura and see how he is. And we actually see that he's pretty much a a good guy. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he, he's thankful for what, uh, Alto's father's done for him. And he very much thinks of Alto as his, his own brother, flesh and blood brother. So, um, you know that that was kind of nice and we see that um we see that grace is actually in with something with creepy leon <laughs> and that there's you know they got something planned and you know with all these little things about you know the type of Zentradi that are on gallia four and some of the other things that are going on especially that thing about the full travel time i was like Whoop, well, we know we know some hijinks are going to occur here but and uh the other thing is just i'm i'm continuing to like the little playfulness and flirtatiousness of uh, cheryl and alto uh you know she's she's becoming more uh you know more flirtatious with him and he's actually starting to break down so uh, that was kind of nice to see and and of course um what would the cute little girl character be without the cute little uh animal character so oh, man, we get that po- introduced but the pokemon um, yeah I choose you. Um, I, coon. I, coon, I choose you. But um other than that, really good kind of character episode. Um a lot of stuff actually happened in this episode. Um it really kind of fast forward the whole um the whole story a little bit and it definitely brings us into episode twelve, which um, you know, we'll do in a little bit. But um any thoughts guys on this?
3: Well, i I, I have to say that the um the nips were out of control this episode. <laughs> they were unrestrained. Of course, uh, we didn't get to see yeah. anybody. I'm just saying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I forgot about that.
3: I remember. Remember, Chris telling me about that before I even watched it. <laughs> like, have you Have you seen episode 11 yet? Uh, what? I was like, man, when you see that man, ooh, just get ready. Just those think, nips are those. The nips were unleashed. It's like, wow. Just Snow think. Park, uh, they poke through spacesuits. What does that say? Oh yeah. man.
2: Just think kegs, beer kegs. <laughs>
3: but um, uh, some things just some small things I enjoyed about the episode I do like the fact that well, I mean, it's kind of a tragedy, but at the same self, I think it's Alto defying his um what was meant for him. Um, the fact that I think his brother Yasaburo think um, believes that Alto is a much better actor than he and he's trying to fill his shoes in Alto's absence, which I guess oh, is yeah. why no, he's he's told him that, yeah, and 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 that's 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 what's crazy is like that Alto is a naturally gifted actor, but he just does not see that as a future. And a lot of people face that in their everyday lives where they're more gifted in some areas, but they would rather be doing something else and alto's fighting against that and i I think that gives him a lot of character because he wants to be something that he's not as good at but you know he has this desire to fly and um for him to say no even even in the midst of his father you know suffering from an illness and knowing that his father doesn't have much time on his planet you know i'm sorry much life left um and still not wanting to to grant his wishes i mean that that i'm sure that you know affected alto in some way but at the same time you know, the man has has his mind made up and I can't blame him. But um other than that, uh oh the fact that um yeah, he's acting is in his blood. Um and then um, the the little uh, what's it the foreshadowing of the thirty three squad the thirty third squadron or marine squadron was pretty neat. Of course, we get to see them next episode. And um, my man Luca, we we found out a little bit about him this episode. He apparently he's got connection. His family is big balling. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs>
2: uh, of 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 your three guys, he's probably the more relevant to the story oh, of, he's, of his thing. I and mean, now now
3: finally, much, much more
2: relevant than uh, Saji oh, and man. rivals.
3: So. Come on, Saji, Saji, Saji's stock will go up. Don't worry. <laughs> You keep talking about just like L A I But um that, that's pretty much the long and short of it. I go out all day. And and of course it was good to see more Quran Quran Chan, although I'd rather see her as a full grown woman. But um alas, we, we, we get to see um Quran Chan instead of regular Quran and I'll have to deal. But Chris, what was your take on this? What was your take on this? A
1: whole bunch of uh, interesting thing mentioned. Uh number one when Kran's talking to uh Kathy about these Entradi and it's sort of comes back to a theme that uh, hasn't really been touched on since the original series. Uh, If you recall, you know, those episodes, the post-war arc, you know, you see this conflict between the Zentradi that are getting along with humans, you know, like Exitol, Britae, all those types of guys, and then all of the ones who don't and basically say, screw this. And screw culture, I'm going back to fighting and all these dissidents causing problems and going back and joining up with with I think that's sort of really hearkening back to that theme, and that was made very clear in the original series that you had Zentradi who wanted to embrace culture, you know, like those three spies and yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you got the ones who didn't, like Kwam Zin, and and you know, it caused a lot of problems this is definitely a reference back to that that, you know, you have these two different camps of Zentradi who reacted in different ways after that first space war so that was a very interesting aspect. And of course it raises red flags everywhere that, that this uh force is made up pretty much entirely of those guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um the whole thing of Yasaburo definitely is an interesting thing that they introduced him and that he's sort of considered, you know, the heir now to, you know, the, the family's acting now that, that uh Alto ran away. Um one thing it just annoys me that this guy's always like he's always walking around with his eyes closed. It's just kind of like,
2: Yeah. He's like, uh, he's like Brock from Pokemon.
1: <laughs> but um, I think it's interesting how he confronts Alto and says, you know, like, oh, you know, you claim that you're a pilot now, but aren't you still acting? Aren't you just acting the part of, you know, someone who's rebelling by running away from his father and, and you know, doing something else? Which really makes you think for a minute, like, well, is Alto really doing this because he wants to? Or is he just, is he still, is he, you know, subconsciously acting out a part? Yeah. Uh, another thing I found interesting was the whole thing with Cheryl you know she offers him this escort job as a birthday present because you really see that she understands him and, and he's talking about how you know his desires to you know, fly through an endless sky and a real planet and all that. And she asks him to come along because she wants him to experience that exact thing. So I think that, plus some of the things we saw in episode 10, show that, you know, Cheryl understands him and gets him and knows more about him than Ronka does. Yes. Because in yes. as late as episode 10, Ronka didn't even know that Alto came from a famous acting family and that he basically had been disowned by his father. It sort of shows that, that Cheryl's interest in, in Alto is a little bit more sure and deep rather than Ronka mm-hmm. is more of just like, you know, a teenage girl's crush. Pretty much.
2: That's why he must make the choice-wise decision. Although,
1: you know, realistically, there's only a two-year age difference between Ronka and Cheryl, but they're very different types of characters, you know, the way they're, you yeah. yeah.
3: oh, No, I'm just saying it just goes to show that Cheryl goes right for the throat while Ronka keeps a distance. You know, she keeps this, her shyness kind of keeps that distance between the two of them as opposed to Cheryl who, you know, is just an open person. Yeah. And, um, that, that that's the Ronka's disadvantage at this point.
1: Yeah, and um, another thing about this episode is it kind of reminds me of episode six where um, you sort of had the setup of sort of the calm before the storm where, you know, you had mm-hmm. the old battle in episode seven. So obviously with this, in this case, it's sort of the same thing, like just a setup of tying up a whole bunch of stuff and introducing some new things. In advance, oh, of, yeah. you know, a big old art bunch of stuff happening. So, uh, without further ado, let's get to that. Oh, man.
3: Good old episode 12, Fastest Delivery. Not UPS. Um, I'll just. Uh, yep. Yeah, definitely not UPS. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking FedEx space folding no <laughs> but um, in this episode just some of the, the things that I, um, I I picked up on plot points um, at the beginning the Zentradi that we are introduced to are the Marine Squadron um, the 33rd that was aforementioned and they're discussing protoculture and, and pretty much their effect on the Zentradi over the over time there's a little bit of deja vu here because if you've noticed you can compare these the main three Zentradi characters on this planet the three main characters from um, the original Macross series Commander oga can be compared to, I never know how to pronounce this, but Verletwai. Thank you. Well, I always want to call him Breetai, of course, but, you know, that's another show. And, of course, his second in command is very reminiscent of Exodal. And, of course, the uh, Rabble Rouser himself, Tenzin, my favorite character of the episode, he's very, very close in comparison to Quanzin. In the episode, when you're introduced to these characters, you notice that um, Ogatai o- Ogata and um, his his side of um, troops are, of course, in the traditional males in trotty garb. And, but Tenzin's side is in, um, um, they, they utilize use, the, the quiddaluns, our
1: armor, which is kind yeah, of yeah,
3: the, the, which is pretty weird. Although yeah, I guess it depends. It shows how understaffed they are that it had to result of using things that are not accustomed to. But um, as we are introduced to them after the op- after the opening credits, where um, we get to see Cheryl and company come out of fold um, and enter in um, the atmosphere of Galia Four. Um back at home on the Macross Frontier, Luca Mih- Mihail, and Nana all discuss Ronka's upcoming concert. You can see Luca's trying to make the moves on Nana a little bit, showing his interest in her. Ronka um happens to show up during the conversation though, surprising them all, after uh, after Nana tackles her, her little uh, her little Pokemon Icoon pops out <laughs> of her uh, <laughs> of her um her upper nether regions and um she introduces I Icoon to them. Uh, this is uh, after that scene is when um the Skull Four and and Cheryl's envoy enter galia Four's atmosphere this is also alto's first entry ex- experience when entering the atmosphere as he uh, comments on they uh rendezvous with the 33rd squadron and they're greeted by um Ogletai, and they roll out the red carpet for cheryl of course um after cheryl comes out the plane she passes out <laughs> due to her fatigue that was shown in the previous episode another little bit of foreshadowing of um, her condition tenzin takes this as an opportunity to get gangstar on everybody and um s- start a civil <laughs> civil war between um both factions of the Zentradi group, and in um, classic Kwanzaan fashion, he does the old Kwanzaan, um hostage play when he takes the Microns hostage. Back at home, Nana and Ronka um, decide, uh, are, are discussing some kind of getaway um, uh, excursion that they're about to go on, and then... Luca receives a telecommunicate about Cheryl and her party taken hostage and that there's a Zentradi uprising on Galia 4. Of course, everybody else of importance on the ship also finds out and they start to wonder what they can do to, to help rescue the hostages from their um, from their hold. Tenzin um makes his demands known, saying that he wants to um, leave Galia 4 and he wants to be given ships and equipment in order to do so. The captain back on the Macross Frontier, he smells conspiracy, thinking that Cheryl's uh, kidnapping and, and hostage taking was a bit too easily done. He thinks there might be some kind of inside man who may have um, tipped him off and played as a part of that. Given the turmoil in Gallia 4, I should say, uh, Ronka laments that she didn't have time to give Alto his present and also tell him how she feels. In the meantime, Cheryl's condition worsens. And despite being sick, Cheryl is concerned about her present for Alto, which of course is the sky of Gallia 4. Uh, at that point, Alto decides to get raw and um takes matters into his own hands as he leaves to go um try to get back into his uh his, his mecca. And in the meantime, Luca has connections and uses his nepotism to get his hands on the new full drive from LAI Industries. And the test dummy who will be using it is none other than Michael as he takes off for Gallia 4. The one of the benefits of this um, test drive is that it, it practically gets someone to where they need to go in no time, and there's no time difference when using it, which is the neatest thing about this. I, I guess the comparison is that it um, it makes the galaxy one-tenth of its size now, when it's utilized. But um, Tenzin goes over his machinations about the fact that the Zentradi are the warrior race, and that there's a treasure on Galia four that he alludes to. And during this time, um, Alto tries to escape, getting into his mech, and gets caught. <laughs> um, Alto, um, Tenzin is a sarcastic bastard, by the way, when he tells him to sing something. Remember that scene? <laughs> Like, apparently unaffected by the music just much like his predecessor I, I and another interesting thing is they have a firefight shortly after this between the two sides of the Zentradi when they see um, Alta trying to get into his mech and no one gets shot not a soul <laughs> it's like G.I. Joe but um during this time Exodol's clone or as I, I the the standard for Exodol presses Ogatai to um to to commence a bombardment of the other side in the meantime michael finally shows up to the rescue and um he has ronka and so who starts to sing and take over the uh the conscience well <laughs> grabs all the attention off of the battle and all the soldiers who are fighting each other you know they finally um pay attention to her singing because they're completely enamored with her song just like Lemon Mae may back in the day as she's compared to which i call the firefight halftime show you can insert um you can insert the emma song right there i forget which song she sings but um interstellar flight interstellar flight that's right alto breaks during the dumbfoundness of the soldiers when ronka starts singing and flies by ronka and then um temzin the only one not affected by the singing goes in to kill ronka but is intercepted by alto that's when the budweiser missile battle begins begins in the skies above (laughs) in the skies above you can pretty much call timson the malcolm x of zentradi because he's going over zentradi plot pride and how um fighting is in their blood and it kind of reminds alto of uh, his conversation with his brother where um, his brother was telling him that acting is in his blood and he needs to come back to what he knows and this of course pisses alto off and he finally um busts out the prog knife and um using his valkyrie he uh, takes timson down Tempton relays a message to him saying that no two ex- species can exist at the same time. You know, he's, he's, he's a firm believer in one must dominate the other. And that's when he f- pretty much falls into the lake below. And I don't know if he dies or not. Oh, yeah. It he, doesn't matter. And in, Oh, yeah. yeah he's, <laughs> he's gone.
1: Keep in mind, those power armors are just armor.
3: Yeah. You're so, stabbed
1: through the power armor. Mm, you're stabbing the person that's in it. So, so. Mm-hmm.
3: Basically, he was gutted regardless.
1: Yeah, he's dead as a doornail. Ooh, well then. <laughs> And um and after all- he's dead after episode thirteen anyway, so
3: Oh yeah. It's a moot point.
1: <laughs> it doesn't really matter.
3: <laughs> uh, in the end Alto gets raw on Temzin and then later uh, elsewhere Cheryl's manager comments on Ronka's performance while the Zentradi are still spellbound when Ronka finally meets up with um, Alto he chastises her but she's all too happy to see him and wishes him a happy birthday Alto decides to fly her around in his um in his Valkyrie and during that flight he has a flashback where uh, Michael tells Alto that um her concert is tomorrow and that he'll remain behind to escort Cheryl back later and Ronka and My- Admires the scenery and wishes the flight would never end and alto agrees alto alto tells her that ronka's rescue is the best present ever and then um an entity somewhere else awakens and takes over the the navigation of his um valkyrie pulling him down towards um pulling him into a crash landing in the jungle below and when they when both alto and ronka get out of the out of the valkyrie they happen to find the macros galaxy the remains of it as its um Trent no oh i'm sorry not the galaxy Galaxy. i'm sorry the Macross global i'm sorry um but yeah they see the remains of the transformed Macross global that crash landed there years ago that's where the episode ends on that cliffhanger which is one of the best cliffhangers in the series that i've seen any any you guys have any thoughts on this episode
1: no
2: no none at all (laughs) um i think that's a wrap i'm
1: I'm done see you guys in
2: two (laughs) sweet deal (laughs) but um nice episode I, i i honestly i liked it up until the point of bronca saving the world you know I, I i like the fact that we see that the zentradis are still having issues with this whole culture to culture stuff and you know that some of them still just want to go back to the old ways and that was kind of nice to see we get the whole thing with you know the hostage takeover seeing that alto kind of sees that he's powerless up until that point it's it's nice to see that even though that they've been kind of winning from the most part, Alto actually gets shown that he you know he can't win every fight and that he's going to need other help. But in the flip side here, it was kind of the whole professor thing with uh, you know we have a full booster that we can get you there nine times quicker and uh, <laughs> you know let's uh, let's instead of bring over a squadron to quell the situation, we're going to bring over little Ronca. So, um, Plot X. yeah, but. It, you know that whole part was just kind of like all right but it, it did end on a great cliffhanger and i think at this point we didn't know that that was the global we find out i think in the yeah, next we... episode it is but we look at it and we just see that it looks like the original macross so a good episode but like i said the the only thing that kind of killed it for me was the whole Rocka saves all so you didn't
1: thing, like her so. her her moment
2: yeah i did kind of like that but i don't know i just it was an awesome way to debut it was she rocked the mic man i felt like things just kind of went down a little bit on this one that's just my opinion i can have an opinion doesn't make me (laughs) ill-informed
1: it does make you unformed because you're (laughs) neo
2: and i'm not i'm not agreeing with you but uh (laughs) (laughs) but uh no i mean a good episode but that was my only kind of complaint on it but I'll just kind of hand it over to you, Chris.
1: Oh, for one, definitely uh, as as a fan, as a geek out moment to see all of these Entrati, uh you know, in their yeah. old uh, Daryl uniforms and, you know, with the freaking rifles and the outfits and the space suits. And the only thing that a little odd about that was them using Quedlu and instead of uh, <laughs> Shadul Gares, but hey, whatever. Yeah, I didn't so,
2: get that at all. <laughs>
1: uh, I, I, maybe they decided that that power armor was better. Who knows? Yeah. But it was interesting to see these three characters, Ogotai, his second-in-command, and Temzin, who has... Solbro mentioned are pretty much look-alikes for their uh, original series counterparts, which in a way makes sense, because up until Space War 1, the Zentradi were all created through clones, so it surprise me if there were lines of a certain clone type, like, say, a soldier type, or a commander type, or a brain type, and you have these guys who all look similar, because not only do they look similar, but they fill pretty much the exact same roles, and, I don't know, maybe the the Kwamzen line has some, some personality defects, because this Thames and guy is pretty much just as much of an asshole as Kwamzin was, and pretty much. has pretty much the exact same character traits. Uh, strangely also is completely unaffected by Protoculture just the way Kwamzin was, mm-hmm. and um, ends up reacting to Ogotai the same way that Kwamzin does with uh, Real Twice. so I thought that was interesting to see that these, these guys are kind of still around and this conflict is there. We get obviously some, some more intimation about the, the strangeness of this uh, little rebellion, and it seemed to be perfectly perfectly planned and it's clear that, that Grace was working with Temzin because she saw Alto sneaking out and then exactly like two minutes later Temzin knew that Alto was sneaking out. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever plan Grace has it's it's clear she was doing it with these with these and that it was perfectly planned from the beginning. Of course you've got kind of a, a Deus Ex Machina where, you know Luca's like, Oh, even though it would take like a week to get there, you know, like my my company just has this magical new fold booster that'll get you there instantaneously.
2: <laughs> I knew something like this would happen.
1: That's uh that was a little uh annoying.
3: It was introduced a little too sudden last episode for it yeah. to actually be a useful to, in this episode. You know.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like oh well, how convenient! I did personally enjoy uh, Ranka's sort of uh, boss her moment when she comes out of the sky, and I was almost half expecting her to say, "Listen to my song."
2: <laughs> I was kind of thinking that too.
1: That's more Cheryl's thing because Cheryl says that quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, actually, in the Macross Frontier manga, there's one there's one panel where she's shown wearing a five armor T shirt, so maybe she's a fan just like uh, like Ozma.
2: And Bobby. And Bobby.
1: <laughs> One thing I thought was uh, sort of interesting: the the way the these Entrati they react to her song, and they got the nosebleed little, little, <laughs> yes. right? yeah. which kind of is a male version of what happened in Macross Seven and Fleet of the Strongest Women. Yes. When uh, At the end of the episode, you know, when they were, you had the Macross 7, they're fighting this Meltrandi fleet, and Basra starts singing, and like, all of these chicks start going crazy for him, and just like, you know, shooting everything randomly out of excitement, and they're all like, oh, Basra, and they're all just going crazy for him. Yeah. So it's sort of interesting, and this is kind of like the, the, the male version of that. Obviously, the end of the episode is one of the biggest, you know, WTF moments in the Macross mm-hmm. franchise ever, where you see suddenly this uh, super dimension fortress that looks, you know, it's, it's, it's a Macross class and everybody's like coming up with all these crazy ideas of, oh, is that is that the Macross? Is this planet actually Earth? You know, all these sort of crazy ideas out of nowhere and, f- you know, for a week had everybody guessing yep. a thousand times over what the heck is going on.
2: It was at, uh, it's the Macross 2 that they were building in uh, Robotech. <laughs>
1: There you go. It's the SDF2 that was being built next door, but you never saw it. Yeah, never. Exactly. <laughs> Any other comments on this episode? Overall, a well-done episode. I, I, I
3: dug it, but that, that's pretty much it for me, which moves us on to episode 13. Yeah, and that would
1: be Memory of Global. Oh, no. <laughs> not Captain
2: Global. There's no smoking on the bridge. Not, not, not Captain Global? Damn.
1: Well, maybe it is. I mean, we'll you got. I'm wondering if this ship is uh, named after him, but we'll get to that in a minute. So uh, this episode uh, begins pretty much where episode 12 left off. You've got the the messiahs falling out of the sky, but you know the little added bit now that Brera's there hiding in the jungle watching them. The Zentradi exital type guy tells Ogatai that um, that there's a deep pulse burst that's been detonated around the planet and at that base you've got grace telling cheryl to take her medicine but cheryl doesn't want to take it because she says it tastes bad and after they crash alto and ranka she sees this macross looking fortress and then she just suddenly has a whole flood of memories that she's had several times in the past and and kind of freaks out once they get their power back and they're flying through the jungle she tells alto that sometimes something will trigger these you know flood of these memories coming back on their own but suddenly the messiah loses power again and they crash in the jungle and when alto does a little bit of a sensor scan he says it's a whole bunch of jamming in the area and he suspects that it's coming from that super dimension fortress so they're yeah. basically hopping to it on foot to get over there because it's such a tangled area it's such a thick jungle and michael on the meantime is talking about how alto must still be on the planet and he sees cheryl's uh, little pill which he picks up and notices it has a very strange name of 639 witchcraft which right there is kind of a red big red flag of maybe that's not a good thing no. <laughs> so uh Alto and Renka they're going through the jungle and you know they they take a brief swim because it's so hot and she makes this comment that it kind of reminds her of the first time that they met. She has to uh go to the toilet so she goes off nearby into the forest but then he hears her scream and suddenly she's gone. And he starts to chase after. Him. Back in the fleet, you've got uh, creepy Leon sort of chastising Luca for just doing things on his own and uh, using that booster from, from LAI. And Luca just try to he just tries to weasel out of it and says like, "Hey, you know, I'm just uh, you know gathering performance data." <laughs> Nice save. Nice little save there. So Alto, he's in his uh, EX gear, and he gets over to where this Super Dimension Fortress is. And when he scans it, he discovers that it's the SDF-4 Global, which was the flagship of the uh, 117th research fleet that we've heard about so much, and is connected to Ranka. As he's flying over there, Brera tells Grace that Ranka's inside the nest, and she's basically telling him that Ranka's his second priority now. She starts preparing something called the Dimension Eater. And Ranka, she's inside the ship, Alto searching for her, and he uh, looks at the computers, but interestingly, there's data that's been recently deleted. And while he's scanning the area, he finds Ranka, and, well, he finds her location, so he starts descending down to find her. Ranka, she wakes up deep in this nest, and there's all these Vajra eggs popping out, which is this, this kind of creepy like alien moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And uh, out of nowhere, of course, very aliens-like, a Vajra queen basically gets in her face, and Alto's flying down, but then Brera smashes in, and he starts attacking the Vajra queen. At the same time, when the Vajra queen is being attacked, Ranka's feeling pain in her stomach, and her stomach starts to glow a little bit, which we've seen hints of here and there, Vajra Queen then explodes and Alto sort of tumbled away. And at the same time, you've got Grace preparing the Dimension Eater. And Alto, he gets back to his Messiah, which can fly now because the uh, jamming's gone. So you see the uh, global starts to glow and basically breaks apart. And this Vajra mothership comes out of it, as well as this whole fleet of Vajra ships that was hiding in the water. Suddenly now you've got alto and brera in another midair duel this time on a planetary surface and luckily uh michael comes to the rescue just as you've got these uh vajra ships moving towards space grace plugs in like uh samus aaron into this dimension eater although it's kind of creepy like seeing her arm kind of like explode into like a whole bunch of like little tendrils and things and she plugs into this bomb and sets it off which starts to send this whole like purple energy thing across the planet And we end with a very big cliffhanger of Michael, who has Cheryl with him and his messiah. They're going after the Baja mothership because they're trying to get to Ranka And you've got Alto trying to boost out of the atmosphere as the planet's being destroyed. Yep, very intense scene. So what did you guys think about uh, this episode?
2: Just, you know, one of those episodes where it just kind of kept you guessing until the end there to see what was going on. There was just so much stuff going on between with... uh Grace and then the, the whole thing with um, um, Alto and then Brera. It was just making the mystery deeper and deeper of what is the deal with Grace? What is the deal with the Vajra? And, you know, why why are they taking Ronca? And why is she in this little, like, pod thing with all these eggs in there? But um, then we find out that for whatever reason, it was more important for Grace to destroy that planet and everything on it than um, to let it to let it stay there. Once again, we get a nice little cliffhanger. And probably you know just as just as probably a more intense cliffhanger and not not as much as the WTF of what we had the the <laughs> previous episode but uh definitely something where it was mo- much more intense especially that whole battle with Bear and uh, Alto fighting and then uh Michael and Cheryl trying to get out of there and Alto trying to get out of there before the the whole planet explodes yeah just one of those ones that uh just after watching it it just gave you whatever questions were answered in previous episodes well, there was more. There was more questions brought up and about things that we thought previously uh, answered. But uh, very good, very good episode. Just keep ramping the intensity up, the mystery. So, but uh, Soulbro, what you what you have to think?
3: It was a good episode, man. I, I enjoyed it. It was a, it was a nice conclusion to the um, followed up well to the cliffhanger of the previous episode. Just some things I I wanted to point out. This episode highly establishes Barrera as um, Altos' red rival. <laughs> in this case, I purple. mean they had the well, yeah purple yeah. yeah true true. Which Although
1: he is oddly blonde. in, in macro. Uh, it's sort of becoming the the standard now that the the rival is always purple i don't know why yeah that's true i guess it had to be a little different <laughs> but but they it was cool that
3: they were forced to work together in some parts over the safety of ronka of course that's the one thing they have in common i like the fact that ronka and alta both grow closer in this episode for once they get to spend some time together and just feel each other out i know neo is not too big on ronka but the I like her. No. I like her. And we'll forever be split on that. Luca's a little bit of the insider when it comes to um, things going on. And his importance is growing throughout the episodes, which I like. My man Luca. Also, um, the aerial dogfight in this episode was outstanding. I got to say, between uh, Alto and Barrera during the later scene in this episode was really good. And um, Neo might find enjoyment in this. But um, I love the fact that Cheryl says, "I said, you got to bring um, Ronca back or die trying. Yeah. Or, or die trying. <laughs>
2: She became 50 Cent all of a sudden.
3: (laughs) I couldn't help but think about that episode of the Boondocks where they spoofed the heck out of that line. But it was pretty cool. And also seeing the inside of a Vajra nest was also pretty cool. And my last thing to point out, just to see a a ghost town inside of a Macross was very spooky. Yeah. I thought it was creepy as all get out. Other than that and the um, action pack finale. I, I have no complaints. Okay.
1: Pretty much my, my comments would be along the same lines. Uh, interesting things, you know, the the fact that uh, we now have the SDF4 Global, which makes you wonder if it's named after Captain Global since he's already got a lake named after him. <laughs> uh, I'll bet this ship probably is named after him, which kind of makes you wonder, uh, what that's the SDF4, what was the SDF3? And no, not the Robotech one yeah <laughs> so it's kind of that surprising that all these years later even when you have the new Macross class battleship that there were still some old Macross class clunkers flying around but i guess pretty damn durable as we'll see later on much much oh yeah much later on so uh, i thought that was kind of interesting and definitely there's this whole like creepiness of you know this vajra Nessa basically was hollowed out inside the ship yeah yeah definitely like i was saying earlier you got these aliens moments of all of these like this whole horde of like eggs and this vajra queen and All of that stuff. And again, uh, an interesting air battle between Brera and and Alto. So altogether, definitely a good follow-up to the big WTF moment from episode 12. So that's... uh that's what I thought.
2: Well, I guess that'll bring us to the last portion of the Size reviews here. Part one, uh, which would be episode 14 entitled Mother's Lullaby. And we basically start off with uh, how we ended in episode 13 with Alto trying to boost out of the atmosphere and escaping the uh, Dimension Eaters' destruction of uh, Galia 4. And uh, then we kind of get fast forward over to Ozma. And he's kind of recalling that before uh, Ronka left to go to Galia 4, that she was being real reckless and you could definitely see that his concern as her brother uh, coming out there because of all the things that's kind of going on in her life right now then he comments to himself that she has turned into a woman before he even realized it and uh, old bobby was over here and it said all women all girls turn into women someday so that was kind of nice there and then we get on the bridge and we see uh we have the bridge bunnies up there and they're kind of doing some gossip about how we find that kathy and osma died years ago and uh, then we find out that uh uh, they start making fun of Bobby for having a crush on Ozma. And then they just start making fun of the fact that it'll never happen because Ozma's straight. So, <laughs> kind of a nice little comedic uh, relief before uh, the radar alert that comes in. And, and we see that a large number of Roger's ships are defaulting right ahead of the fleet. And all the pilots are alerted. And Luca was with Nanase. He tells her that he has something to say to her before when he returns, which I thought was going to be kind of the uh, death throw there.
1: Pineapple salad. But,
2: yeah, pineapple salad. And then right when the battle's starting, we see the quarter. It's launching, and then it immediately transforms. Uh, Ozma takes control of the Skull Squadron, orders all the units to attack. Uh, Luke is deploying some of the ghosts to uh, help with the battle. Then we go over and we see that Alto escaped the destruction of Galia Four, and he is now docking with the Super Pack and the full booster, and uh, he's folding out to uh, meet up with the fleet. And then we see that Cheryl wakes up inside Michael's Messiah, and she tries to wake him up, uh, because they have folded back to the fleet but they both passed out during the journey and she's trying to wake him up and he, he's not able to wake up just yet so she takes control of the messiah and just starts flying all over the place probably a good thing that she did because uh, that's when uh, luca spotted her so probably saved them uh, yeah the- but she
1: got totally wrecked in the process and, and-
2: yeah <laughs>
1: <She> <laughs> the did. messiah blows up and the, the two of them get you know ejected from it <laughs> yeah which kind of sucks for michael yeah,
2: yeah. And uh, we see that the Vajra mothership is folding in. We see that LaRocca's still inside that little pod, and she wants to go home. And the Vajra queen starts giving a hentai thing with a probing tentacle towards her. <laughs> get kind, of a, get kind of a hentai little feel there. And uh, she, LaRocca uh, finally sees herself looking at the fleet. And uh, after after uh, Luca and Michael drop off Cheryl at the Macross Quarter, Alto recognizes the mothership as it's the ship that Ronk is in. Then we see that Howard, the president of the Frontier Colonies, he's talking with Leon, and he just can't believe that the Vajra would use such diversionary tactics because you know he was always told they were just kind of dumb animals. And then we see creepy Leon saying that it's the mothership that's the one that's creep, uh, you know, coordinating the attack. So uh, and he's asking for authorization to use reaction weapons Rich Howard kind of reluctantly grants with Alto returning back to the Skull Squadron Ozma sits there and threatens to kill him if anything happens to Raka <laughs> We see that Ronka's still inside the mothership. She's seeing all the fighting, and then all of a sudden she has a weird vision of her mother singing that song, Imo, and it kind of makes her start singing too. Some things are going on. Some pilots are getting killed. Alto's reminded of Gilliam, the oh, Howard yeah. Mason of Macross Frontier, and then he starts flying towards the mothership, just kind of wasting stuff. Then all of a sudden we see that the Vajra stopped firing, and Alto destroys all the ones that stopped with uh, his missiles. He gets into the hole of the mothership, and just as he's about to save Ronca, who comes in, Brera, and he's telling Alto to, that he's getting in the way. Brera gets in, cuts cuts Ronca free of the energy bubble, and then Alto, smart enough to realize that he's just going to shoot a missile barrage, seeing that is safe. The explosion ejects both Alto and Brera out of the ship, and then we get the announcement from Brera that he is Major Brera Stern of the Macross Galaxy's Antares Squadron, and that he's rescued the captive. At the last minute there, we see Jeffrey fire the Macross cannon at the Mothership ship, the mothership's destroyed, and the remaining Vajra just kind of picked off. Then we see Rock Grace wake up in a new body, and then makes the thing that if Rock is the little queen, then back in Brera's VF-27, we see that Rock is sitting in the back crying, and just as she's crying, her stomach starts glowing again, so that was kind of the end there my thoughts quickly on this uh really great episode when it came to action the dog fight was just crazy you know all the all the the fighting in there we see that now that creepy leon is definitely uh knowing something and he's he's planning something using the Vajra as his way of kind of taking control of macross frontier you know we also get to see ozma really really has a deep care for for ronka just by the way he's telling alto that you know hey look if, if something happens to her it's going to happen to you even worse so you know it's starting to become a little bit easier now for for the frontier squadrons to take care of the Vajra and we see that I guess the mothership is you know is the control center and that once it gets destroyed that they become the drones I guess you could call them kind of get picked off pretty easily and uh, we get probably the the major thing that Brera is somehow supposedly from the Macross Galaxy which uh, everybody believed was destroyed or was destroyed a couple episodes back the only other thing is that we see that you know, Grace is definitely some type of cyborg and this whole thing about Ronka being some little queen and then, you know, her belly glowing is just kinda kinda crazy. I was thinking new type baby there for a second, but <laughs> I don't think I don't think so. But um any thoughts guys?
1: It's interesting that you got a couple of like little character moments as mixed into the, you know, big battle, which is something that Macross has always done well. You know, the whole thing with yeah. Ozma thinking about uh how he was talking to Ronka before she left and he's thinking about how she's you know become she's grown and become so determined now and she's not sort of like the shy little crybaby that she was before and that she turned into a woman before he even realized it that was somewhat interesting one thing that I definitely think deserves just a bit of attention is the fact that the nuns grunts actually got to kick some ass in this episode yeah no, they did and with a freaking vengeance too I mean there was one guy doing like a freaking pinpoint barrier punch and there was a whole bunch of other guys just mowing stuff down with their gun pods it's like hey you guys actually can kick some ass sometimes sometimes (laughs) sometimes which was such a far cry from the way they were depicted in the first episode as a bunch of like useless crybabies. Yeah. Which I always thought just rubbed me really wrong and is especially strange and I think given that I mentioned this before that given in the Frontier manga in that battle they're depicted as actually being pretty competent but just outmashed with crappy weapons. Totally different yeah. from the way they've been depicted in the show so it was nice to see them get to kick some ass and, and you know cannon waters get their due occasionally. Luca of course you've got you know his his whole pineapple salad moment almost where he. Yes. due and I say that he has something important to tell her and obviously he has a crush on her but it's kind of hard to tell because since the guy always looks like he's blushing anyway it's yeah. kind of hard to notice when he actually is blushing.
2: Yeah, I know. That is true.
1: You never know. Uh, a couple of other things. Although he's not mentioned by name in this episode we finally get to see the captain of Battle Frontier a guy named Perry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, we'll see him more later on pretty interesting battle uh how the the vajra were you know using coordinated attacks and they weren't just basically flying in like dumb animals and how the fleet was getting pretty screwed and to the point that uh this one blast actually breaks even through the uh the shell of island one and sucks a bunch of people out into space which which sucks for them yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's something we never even saw in macross seven that that's something that never happened in that show
2: they always got that shell down
1: (laughs) they got that shell down but even with the shell down that wasn't enough to uh protect frontier so was actually kind of like this one moment from Daryl where the the ship gets blasted and people are getting sucked into space, or they were, I think there was like some falling debris that beheaded some guy, like in right in the freaking forefront of the screen. Obviously, this isn't that bloody, but it was kind of interesting nonetheless.
2: I didn't. I, the only thing I didn't see, and I was hoping I would see, would be mother and child getting sucked out. <laughs>
3: There's plenty of that off screen.
2: Because <laughs> it, it, it's it's always it's always funny to see a uh, mother and child being sucked out of some colony. So.
1: Uh, Another interesting thing is, uh, obviously, episode 13 sort of gave the impression that Grace uh, got killed, but we see here that uh, she basically can pull a major Kusanagi and uh, download herself into new bodies, which is exactly what she does. So overall, interesting episode and a good follow up to the previous one.
3: I honestly think Grace is kind of an homage to the to the major in a sense because when you see her in later episodes and she's in kind of that holographic state, she's in, in like interfacing with with the collective, and you can you see her the way she looks and it's depicted. She just always rings it rings familiar to the major to me. Other things about the episode I liked a lot was uh, I like the fact that the captain Captain Wilder has an admirer in uh, Monica, yeah. and and then the fact that he went on and said you'd make a good wife. I was it, like, man,
1: you you old pimp, and and the rest of the bridge keep teasing her about it because it's obvious oh, to yeah. them that she's got a thing for him. Well, oh, we need to get a little May December going on here.
3: I definitely wish Monica the best, I hope that goes somewhere. Uh, we get a little bit of uh, Kathy Noah's sorted past, which was pretty cool to see. I mean, they talk about it very briefly, but we get a little bit more about it this time. And Poor Bobby. He'll he'll continue to go wanting. And the Pinpoint Barrier Punch was so awesome. I got a little excited when I saw that. Finally, the Frontier busts out the good China and the reflex weapons. That was excellent. Of course, that'll have its ramifications later, but Luca, my man, they, um, he's, his designs for Big Pimpin' are growing. He wants to protect Anana apparently, which to me is my favorite girl on the ship. As if that was a shock. Um, <laughs> and another, I, I love the scene where Cheryl was at the reins, although she lost Mihal's cool Valkyrie. I thought it was a really nice scene. But overall, it was a fun episode. It was just a mixture of different things, and I I, I like that a lot. Uh, another thing of note, um, I don't know if you mentioned this, uh, Neo, but um, did you mention that one of the Zentradi Amazons or uh, one of um, uh, flight uh, squadron mates died in this episode? No. Yeah, she got one of them got shot. Rami of the uh, yeah uh,
1: of the two, you you got the the one who Nene, who's sort of like the uh, kind of uh, pretty girl Onesama type, yeah, who who kind of like hides behind Quran. So the other one who had like I think one dial one line, you know, and I don't know how many episodes. That's the one who got wasted. Yeah. yeah. She was
3: pretty easily disposed, sadly. And you could definitely hear Karan make a cry out to the fact that that happened. But that was a sad moment. But for the most part, a fun episode, and I dug it.
2: Still wasn't as good as seeing the thing of Gilliam getting killed again.
3: Oh. Howard Mason. But I can't use her for battery, though. Damn. <laughs> In the meantime, I, I, that, that, that wraps it up for me.
2: All right. Well, uh, I guess that uh, takes care of this first part of Supersized Interviews of uh, Cross Frontier doing uh, episodes 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. And uh, we'll be back in a little bit. Uh, you're listening to Gundam at MAHQ.
0: Killing me won't bring back your damn honey! Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! gun down.
3: With that said, I just can't fault him too much about turning on Lelouch. I wouldn't have tried to kill him. I'd have just tried to, you know. Yeah, but you hit. have to because.
1: Yeah, even, true. even as from their perspective, they, they believe a couple of flimsy pieces of evidence goodness. from Schneisel without yeah. getting Lelouch's side of the story. Wasn't the evidence All damning, though?
2: Not to the extent of. How
1: do you know that? How did they know that that evidence wasn't fake? And again, they didn't get Lelouch's side of the story. They just instantly.
2: Turned yeah. on him. Judged
1: well, him guilty and were ready to kill him. Well, what yeah. about the
3: recording, though?
1: And granted. I mean. Again.
2: Again, how did they know it was true? Because it was it was all taken out of context.
3: It, I guess, it Even though it was
1: it. true, it was a context, so there really is nothing defensible about what they did. And the That's other thing true.
2: is, they may not have known that he was a Britannian, but they knew that he was not Japanese. Well, so, he, yeah. right there, they had no problem with it. Well, damn it, the defense they had, Yeah, they had... I mean, <laughs> they, they were... They were in, I mean, if you really look at it, they were ingrates. I mean, like Chris said, they believe the son of the emperor of the country that they're fighting, giving them a little, what, five-second snippet of audio... Yeah. saying, you know, something that could be easily misconstrued and then turning on him completely. The guy that organized them, got him this, got him that, they won battles. Okay, maybe they lost some friends, but they don't know what you people that he betrayed it. and what he didn't.
3: It granted whether in a position to deliberate it with the with the fact that he had a geus <laughs> that could take over your mind. I mean, they started to wonder if
2: once if, if once that, again they, were, they already tampered. Once again, you need
1: both sides of the story. And that's they were true.
2: once again they were ingrates. I mean, they 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 just completely flip sides for just because of what one guy said. Yeah. who's the son of the emperor that of the country that they're rebelling against. So well, there. and OG
1: forgot rule number one.
2: Yeah, bros before hoes. Exactly. Oh, exactly because oh. that's. Because that's why he did it.
1: Damn. I've been
2: thoroughly shut up. Gun. Damn.
0: Next episode, you'll see the tears of time. Start talking and talk fast, you lousy bum. We've been frantically trying to reach you, dude. Where is my gun? Damn money, you bum. Well, well, we... I, 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 I don't... They did not receive the money, you nitwit. They did not receive the money. Her life was in your hands. This is our concern, dude. No, man, nothing is f- here. Nothing is. F- no, man, the goddamn plane has crashed into the mountain.
2: Hi, everybody, welcome back. This is Neo, and uh, we are now going into um, the eighth installment of Gundam Roundup with uh, Mobile Suit uh, Victory Gundam. Uh, This is another 51 episode series that's directed by Tamino um when we're going to kind of do this a little differently that we've done some of the other Gundam roundups uh previously we went into a lot more about the actual plot a lot of s- certain little things in there but um in this one we're just going to um, kind of hit kind of the overall story uh talk about some of the um uh, some of the characters and then kind of go into some of our thoughts and impressions of the show because I'm sure a lot of you guys know that they're there's a lot of opinions on either way uh, dealing with Victory Gundam. So, well, to start off, we're actually the show begins in um, UC 153, and this is about 30 years after uh, F91, and we see that in Side Two there is the colonies in Side Two. There's something called the Zanskar Empire, which has come power come to power. And one of the ways that they're coming to power and holding on to that power is through the use of the guillotine. And uh, yes, that is the guillotine that we remember from history class in the French Revolution. And this is something that's really in the psyche of, of a lot of the people out there and it's very, very feared because they almost bring anybody to um, uh, anybody will be guillotined for very, very simple things there. Um, and we see that the Zanskar Empire is actually preparing its forces to invade Earth, and they're actually, you know, preparing to go against the other sides and put them under their control. But um, as they're attacking Earth, uh, there is a resistance movement um, that is called the League Militaire, and they're basically kind of like I guess you could almost kind of think of them in ways of like the AUK from Zeta Gundam, uh, because the earth federation at this point is very much weaker than it was in previous incarnations of gundam so um the league military they um they're using young pilots and they're using some state of the art mobile suits that they're building in secret and a lot of their members cons- uh, consist of um some former federation people and basically uh what we have here is we have a bat. you know the battles to resist uh the Zanscar evading Earth um, we find out later some of the ideas behind the Zanscar Empire and some of the things that they want to do and um, you know especially with the exploit uh, exploiting uh, new types for their advantage um, we also we also see uh, a lot of different and interesting mobile suit um, uh, designs and things and, and types throughout and um, it all kind of consists of, uh, you know, the the epic battle towards the end um, between uh, the League Militaire and you know parts of the Earth Federation who do join up later on in the show to go against the Zanskar Empire, um, and uh, we have a quite interesting battle towards the end of the show. Um, going into some of the characters, uh, we actually have um, our youngest Gundam pilot to date and, um, he was only 13 years old, Uso Ebbing, and, um, you know, some other characters of note on here is kind of a girl, uh, called Shakti, I don't remember what her last name is, but, um, she's kind of been living with Uso, because they, they were living at the beginning of the show in Eastern Europe, and they were kind of, um, you know, by themselves because their parents had, um, gone away during the, during the war, and, um, we're introduced to some they meet up with some other people within the town um some of their friends uh we get introduced to some different uh some of the resistance people uh, like a mar uh, marbet finger hat uh, we had spoken about her in one of our other shows and you know we get introduced to kind of a colorful type of people um we do have the sunrise staple of the masked man which uh, ironically is a a brother of of uh, the queen of the Zanskar empire who's more or less like a um kind of like a spiritual figurehead and we also find out that he is also brothers to Shakti later on so um of course we get the things of Uso's Uso finally meets his parents and we find out some of the things that they are involved in and how they you know are important to the plot um but um other than that, unless there's anything else I kind of missed on the story or anything that either Chris or Solbro wants to hit on, I guess maybe the first thing we can kind of get into is uh, some of her thoughts about it. But is there anything that you wanted to add on that, Chris? Okay. <laughs> Solbro.
3: Well, um, the show has a, a kind of a unique, um, a u- an unique take on how to how to explain the uh, origin of a. Are the origin of Gundam pilot where they actually play what is, can, should be considered the second episode first, and then the first episode second? I was like, the fourth episode is yeah. it really? Because when I watched it, it seemed that oh, that's right. I take that back. Where um, it's the first three episodes where he um, where you see him getting going up to the point where he does get the victory. Yeah. But and then the first episode, would can be considered in truth the fourth episode. You're right. But um, that was that was. Pretty pretty interesting to, to, to watch and it's kind of confusing. But I guess they wanted to get the ball rolling with him already in the suit and then just tell exactly how he got into it afterwards. Which I guess makes sense. But um I I would have to say this, I've never seen a show so i I've never seen I've never seen a cast of so many upbeat characters in a show that is so draining to watch. I mean, I love this series and when watching it though. It, you start to get that sinking feeling every episode and you just sense the despair. I mean, the fact that they involve, they bring back something as gruesome as the guillotine to, 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 to incorporate, um, corporal punishment. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, it's just that, that just instills fear in your, in in your mind. It's like, what if, you know, what if they were doing that today? And you know, the, the fact that this Zanskar empire is actually scaring the living wits out of everybody (laughs) by, by instilling their, um, their Iron Fist on everybody who lives in space and on Earth. You know, they um, they rule absolutely, and it seems like a real bleak situation, and it is pretty much, to me, the bleakest of all the Gundam shows, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that, uh, that opinion, but um, what, what were you guys' um, initial opinions on the show? Um, wow. Well, and the tone and the
1: mood and all that.
2: I guess I'll kind of push that over to Chris to see, and, and then I can get on mine if you...
1: I mean, in terms of you know, the, the tone and you know, the, the bleakness of the show at times, it makes Zeta, by comparison, look like the Disney afternoon.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, that is true.
1: <laughs> because the thing about Zeta is, uh, you know, in Zeta you sort of have this big old massive death fest at the end where everybody dies, whereas in Victory it's consistently happening throughout the whole show. And uh, if you look at it, in, in, in Victory, for the most part, it's mostly the good guys that are dying. Yeah. The bad guys really don't start dying until the end and even then they don't die in as great a numbers as the good guys do. So that sort of contributes to sort of the the bleakness and the sense of despair they start to feel for a while because you've got the the tiny League militaire fighting against this Zanskar Empire which the fact that this group calling itself an empire exists and is allowed to exist just goes to show how far the federation has fallen that they can yeah, yeah. they can't keep their shit together. And they do nothing. To stop the situation until the very end of the series, as they always have done in every show since the original series, they Pretty just kind of just show up at the end. Not so much in Zeta, they didn't do anything there, but it's like in like in, Vic, in Double Zeta, they just kind of show up at the end, like yeah, we're gonna take the credit and win the battle. <laughs> you guys didn't do anything to help, them, and you could have averted so many tragedies. So that is my initial initial thought. So I'll get into you know more detailed things later, but I'll just get back to you, Paul.
2: Um, yeah I kind of agree with you there Um, you know I think what makes this uh, show very um, very striking to me is that with any other Gundam show when I sat there and watched it I've always had no problem um, getting into the next episode you you know if you have like an hour or so you can usually get about two or three episodes done Have an hour of free time two or three episodes done but with this show, it was like, man, you know, you would watch an episode, especially once we start getting into the kind of the the middle part, and and even you know about episode twelve on, it's like, ugh, you know, it, it's it's difficult, but it's not difficult because it's bad. It's just difficult because, like you said, it 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 takes despair, and you know, it, it does kind of go in the in the opposite way of, you know the. Guys are just getting killed left and right, and you know, some of the ways that they're doing are some of the most gruesome and, uh, in some ways, the most senseless.
3: Now, correct uh, me if I'm wrong, but at the time, this was a very popular series, wasn't it? Um, no. when, it, when it aired, I
2: don't think it was.
1: It was not, it was popular.
2: No. Oh, no, wow. yeah, I don't think it was at all.
1: No, not, not in any stretch.
2: I think it's one of those ones that as it got older, it became popular. But, um, you know, it's just, you, you you sit there and you're like, man, the things that these people are going through and it really does kind of show the bleakness of, you know, and kind of the waste of life that Ward has. And, um, you know, it is difficult to watch when it comes, you know, in succession like that, but it it is very good. But I'll pass this over to Solbro with some other, other things or observations he may have
3: well um getting into a little bit of discussion about the mobile suits I-, I love the um the fact that they bring up the fact that they have reduced the size of them in this show how they you know they're what's the what's the percentage they' like one they're a third smaller i think they're fourteen meters they're Four- just
2: like the ones in um f nine f 91 yeah. one yeah but
3: you know they they discuss it and um the fact that the victory is not a significant suit. It's actually, you know, used across the board by a lot of people. Uh, you know, Uso has one, but it's it's the pilot that makes all the difference in this show. And granted, he he may be thirteen years old, but he looks like he's maybe eleven. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's his height. But um as as for Uso as a Uso, the main character, I, I never I never did dislike him, but um, he just seemed to be thrown into every bad situation. You really didn't. It, I, to me, I didn't see his character developing a whole lot throughout the course of the show. I mean, granted, he was put in dire situation after dire situation, and he was becoming more battle hardened. But he actually became, to me, became more, I guess, empathic or um, just aware of, of the situation going around him and. He he, be, you know, he just became a better pilot, and he was on that natural progression that most Gundam series will put a character on. But I don't think his character had a lot of time to shine in the show, given all the, given all the tragedy that would be you know focused upon in the show. I mean, every character you here's the show's pace. You get an episode where a character that normally isn't, you know, normally doesn't get more than two to three lines in, in an average episode is suddenly the focus. Suddenly yeah. the focus. I mean, one episode that stands out in my mind is the one with. Um, the first first strike st- team member um, is um, focused upon. Though I believe I forget her name, but um, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, it really doesn't. She's cannon fodder. But um, she's focused upon, and you know from jump from the beginning of that episode that she's not going to make it to the end.
2: <laughs> that and that that Zanskar um, commander and his girl, yeah. the one that like at the end of the thing, they're off motors, they're on the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is some kind of crazy things in there. And, I mean
3: they were interesting stories but you realize it was the end of that character's run three seconds into the episode once you realize it's about them i was like god oh they're gonna kill off another one you know the, i don't think there was one episode maybe there was a few that actually you know broke formula but for the most part if they were focusing on a sub character they were gone and if they weren't gone that episode they were gone soon but um it that was that was depressing and like you said Neo, watching that show as As interesting as it is, and you know as engaging as the show is it 's very tough to watch for the fact that it can be draining at times. I mean I had to it watch it, the draining. show in search It was actually when I first picked it up there i I waited six months I got to the halfway point up to a very significant scene with uso 's mother which i don 't know if I should get into or not ah uh, yeah but go ahead. when when um when, <laughs> when 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 she um is removed from the show in a specific way. Well, um, yeah. when she gets decapitated and her um, her head flies like 40 feet in the air, <laughs> <laughs> and Uso witnessed this, witnesses this, I stopped watching the show at that point. I actually just quit. <laughs> I was going to get back into it. I just didn't know when. I just didn't have the, well, the aptitude to you, just keep you'd watching. You'd have to
2: say, though, that's, that's not even the, the worst part of that. Yeah. Oh, the worst of part of that yeah, is the fact that they're on the deck of a battleship... <laughs> And it's Uso Shakti and these uh, Odalo and Thomas and these other, these other pilots at Marbet. Mm-hmm. And Uso is holding his, the helmet that his mother's head is in, Inside. with drip, blood dripping there. And they're all kind of like crying and stuff. And yeah, it's like, mm-hmm. wow.
3: And like seven, they spare you the sight of what's inside the helmet. Yeah. But you see the blood dripping, and that's more than enough. Makes you your mind comes up with
1: something far worse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What's in the helmet? What's in the helmet? When of Paltro's <laughs> head.
2: And, it, and I mean that brings up another thing with some with some deaths here, some notable deaths. One of the ones that it's honorable. I guess in some ways it's necessary, but the way this guy died was the most retarded way I've ever seen. Oh Jesus! Is Christ. say there is uh, one of the main pilots, and he was actually the leader of the strike team, which was an all-woman team we mentioned earlier. But he's a man, and he's uh, his name is Oliver, and he actually ends up becoming the love interest of Marbet uh, during the show. But um, <laughs> there, there's some large battle sequence on Earth, and the Zanskar Empire is using these battleships with large wheels on them to basically just run over everything on the earth because they're kind of thinking of this like urban renewal thing where you just knock everything down. Well, they're trying to escape this battleship and granted, they're having a hell of a time trying to destroy this battleship the whole time. Well, he has the idea of knocking one of the wheels off. So, instead of doing the way, and, and granted, this is just set up like, you know, a normal wheel. There's spokes in the middle and everything. Instead of coming in from the side to you know, cause a lot more damage and maybe disabling the battleship. <laughs> this, guy, <laughs> this guy takes uh, the core fighter and basically rams it into the front of the spinning wheel that's probably going maybe 50, 60 miles an hour. Oh, now, it's a good idea, but first off, you, you put it probably at its most, uh, most hardened point. Secondly, why didn't he just eject? Uh, that would make and, sense and, and you know putting in an autopilot but it was one of those turning point deaths but then when you when you look at it and you know they replayed it one or two times later and you're just like you're kind of laughing a, a, a little bit because you're like well you know it was honorable that he died in battle but he kind of died in a dumb way <laughs> so, so i mean and, and, and of course it is a turning point in the show because it you know, helps, um, you know, before he dies, he you impregnates know, Marbet and then they, you know, she has a new type baby, which, you know, becomes a, an interesting plot point later on too. So, um,
1: well, my thing about him and, and his stupidity is forget even going after the wheel. Why not say go after the bridge? If you're going to like do a little comic that weekend? too. Yeah. You take out the bridge, That's that takes out the battleship, and you kill all the important people, so that would have been the smart thing to do, rather than yeah. crash into this big old fat space tire.
2: Yeah, of the shocking deaths in there, it especially once we get towards the strike team, who basically there's, what, about six or seven women, Yeah. and there's a sp- oh, sure. strike, I'm sorry, and there's a span there where just about one of them gets capped every episode and and, and going in horrible ways is such as um, holding up the part of a mass driver and getting uh, beam sabered through the cockpit while allowing the rest of the, uh, of the folks to uh, launch in a shuttle up the space.
3: The death that hurt my feeling the most was Junko's death, though. That was... That was just a bit hard for me to take. She was—I figured she out of all of them, she'd been the one to to, to make it, you know, to, to to be there throughout the course of the show. But then again, the, nothing sacred in this show. <laughs>
2: but it, she,
1: that she was, she was kind of reckless and had kind of like a death wish almost because she did lots of crazy yeah. things. Well,
3: yeah. what what would have been what would have been an ironic point is if she with that with, with that mind state, if she actually lived, you know. But you know, as expected, she croaked too, and I guess she got what she wanted, but.
2: But as, you know, as we started getting, uh, you know, more and more of these deaths, I mean, Oliver's death just gets kind of lost in the whole thing. It gets kind of silly in the end. So, you know, it's just um, it's just, you know, one of those things. But Chris, any other um, any other any other thoughts?
1: Yeah, one thing that did kind of bother me about the show is the, uh, the the pacing at first. I mean, first of all, you got your thing that you were dumped into with the fourth episode being shown first because they wanted to show off the Gundam, and you can definitely tell that that's a Sunrise thing and not a Tamino thing. Yeah, yeah. Because he set up you a know, very clear progression of Uso working his way into the plot and taking a few episodes to get into finally having the Gundam. Uh, but then the thing is, for me, the especially the first eight episodes where they're just kind of slowly trekking across Europe because they're trying to get to Spain so they can get to the freaking mass driver and go into space. Until that's done, that's like 15 or so episodes, the show just really moves pretty slowly, and it's not until they yeah. they get into space that first time that you really feel like things are starting to like really kick off and, and start to develop.
2: Oh, yeah. And that's that, that is they, true.
1: But once the show starts going and it really starts developing, like in the say like the mid 20s, and things really start going, it just keeps on going from there. It doesn't really stop, and that's one of I think the uh, the of the show. But also the fact that um, unlike many shows that are of this length, uh, if you look at it, pretty much the last 10 or 11 episodes or that last arc, rather than in a lot of shows where it's as little as you know three or four episodes. Mm-hmm. And you kind of yeah. feel rushed. It's like it's you, you see, you know, from the time they get back into space the last time, and the whole thing with you know, uh, with Kylos Gilly, not Kylos Gilly with um, with uh, Chronicle, oh no, not Chronicle, uh, oh Mitchell Halo, yeah, with Mitchell Halo, this whole arc of you know we got to go get this thing because it's gonna go like you know, kill everybody on Earth, and we got to stop it. And it just keeps building up and building up and you got more things going on and more deaths and more destruction. And then you got this whole thing at the end, you know, this sort of very bittersweet ending um, where, uh, you know, Uso's alive and he's with uh, Shakti. And, you know, his bitter rival Katajina is now the sort yeah. of like blind beggar who doesn't remember anything. But there's which just it, been it? so much destruction along the way that it's sort of like, what did they achieve?
3: Yeah, that's true. And yeah, I, 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 then you bring up a good point about Katajina herself. Um, that was a character you loved to hate, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I to say. Oh, oh yeah, God, I thank God for. To, I thank Tamino for making that character, because you could see that she started kind of started out even keel. She was kind of a selfish, you know, kind of you know spoiled, spoiled little you know daddy's girl, and then you know she evolves into this monster throughout the course of the series. If anybody had character development, it was her. Out of a lot of characters in that show, she really, really became something just detestable. And then to have that ending at the end of that show, I think is one of the most fitting f- outcomes for a, gun- a character in a Gundam series period. Oh, yeah. The fact that she didn't die, she gets to live the rest of her life crazy and blind. That's cool.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I got to say, though, uh, you know, most of the time in anime, when there's a, when there's a death of a character, it's like you kind of expect it. And sometimes yeah. and usually I don't have any problem with you know certain characters dying, but one of the few times I've actually had a real problem with a character just getting killed when you don't expect it and you really don't want to see it is it's Odalo exactly yeah, yeah, I was pissed the way he just got at the very at almost the very end of, of the last episode, yeah, Katagina just kills him, and it's like, oh, not this guy, oh this poor guy he went through so much, and he managed to get through the show and then boom exactly. right at the end, he got. Did, uh,
3: it, uh, and it's along funny
2: too because she she actually you know you say that she's the only one that kind of really gets developed to the fullest in this. Yeah, she's actually at the end becomes Usos greatest foe. Yeah, I mean she took him to the to the brink. I oh, mean yeah. he had difficulty with other pilots, but the
1: things that she put him through alone, like, like literally stabbing him in the back.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean even the even the final battle mm-hmm. and while well, they're in there, you know he's in the Gundam and she's in her mech, and you know she pushed him to the point because she she knew he was weak and she knew that he always had a weakness towards her and she yeah. exploited the living hell out of she it she
3: played his buttons like oh. to like he played him like a fiddle and that was what made her so conniving um speaking of unexpected deaths I, I, am I wrong on this, but did thomas survive the end, or did he die also no he survived
2: he survived oh,
1: okay because i didn't remember seeing him in the end yeah he 's
2: uh, with them i think he's isn't with you? them.
1: I saw his brother, but i don't recall seeing him no, they they both so. they both survived, but I would argue on the character development that you know I think there's you know quite a few characters who developed i, I think yeah. you think so he did because number one. You know, he starts off as this kid who just gets caught up in this huge thing, and he goes so much and manages to not go crazy. Yeah. And even though he goes through so much despair, you don't really see him going down that sort of dark path that Camille went down in Zeta, where he starts to become very pessimistic about everything and starts to take a very negative view of everything. Yeah, that is
2: the one thing he didn't do.
1: And you got people like Odello, who basically just starts off as like a street urchin, And, you know, you see him and Warren and Uso sort of develop this really strong bond between the three of them, and then he becomes a pilot, and he falls in love with uh, this chick, uh, one of these two sisters. Yeah. Yeah. And, um...
2: Marbet actually had a lot of uh development too. Yeah, she did. Because she went from being like, you know, the frontline resistance person. To the matron. To being, you know, basically like um you know, becoming a mother. Yeah, you know, yeah, and literally and becoming kind of the surrogate mother for all those kids that are fighting and you know, being probably the only one that really gave gave uh Gave any care about what happened to those kids. Unlike you know, the regular, so yeah.
3: Unlike the regular losers that I like in the show, I think she's my favorite character of the whole series. Is is Mar-Bet. Oh, I yeah. I never never I never I never got her last name. Finger Hat always reminds me of finger hut. But <laughs> but as for um as for her character, I I I like the role she played, and you know the fact that um I was expecting her to to croak like throughout the whole show. <laughs> like you know she seemed to yeah. me like the senpai, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I'm watching and it's like when's she going to go? And then she gets pregnant and it's like, okay, she's, 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 she's probably going li- to be around for a while. Yeah. And then she has the baby and it's like, that's cool. And, it, and the fact that she's in the end and she got to you know survive through the whole show and her character developed throughout the course of it was pretty, you know, it was, was, it was very exciting to see. Usually Tomino's pretty ruthless against women, as you can see with the strike team. But with Marbet, he gave, he gave her a pass. She got, she got the bright Noah.
1: Another thing is <laughs> um, with victory that this, this whole crew, you know, the good guys on the, the league Militaire. Yeah. Uh, um, they're a much tighter-knit group because, if you notice in a lot of other Gundam shows, but especially the Tamino ones, you know, yeah. the, the, the cast, the protagonists, they usually don't all get along that well. No. Like, you see that it's very obvious, like, in, in the original Gundam series, uh, in Zeta, in Victory, you know, you have a lot of people who, it's like, they work together because the situation forces them to, but they really don't like each other, but... Yeah. In in uh, victory, you know, they're really just sort of this this sort of kind of a tight knit family because they go through so much, and are against fighting in so many yards that it kind of forces them to become very close. That's that's I a think, very marked distinction from all of the previous Gundam shows.
2: I think part of it too is because in, in this one, most of the most of that crew, uh, they're civilians. Yeah, and, it's much more in,
1: informal than say which even as a rebel group had a very strict, like you know, military yeah. structure and hierarchy. True. Yeah.
2: So I mean, and they, um, you know, they 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 were truly a resistance force, and you know, they were truly fighting against all that. But you know, some of the other things, or you know, besides some of the deaths, is just you know, kind of the, um, we see kind of the political intrigue with um, Queen Maria later on you know how she's basically just kind of a figurehead she's a new type but you know her new type's abilities are are used to basically put everybody under control and that we see that there's you know actually just like most of these things other people in the government that are um, you know kind of pulling the strings and you know she doesn't she doesn't really have a clear sense of everything that's going on and what the true objectives of the um of the empire are, you know, well, she,
1: she kind of knows that she's being used, but it's sort of like she fell into it. And what I think is amusing is that, you know, that publicly the Zanskar They put on this face that, um, you know, they, they want to create, you know, this peaceful matriarchal society when in reality, I mean, that empire is about the best example you can find of this completely patriarchal fascist organization. Oh yeah. You know, especially led by all these old crone old, you know, bastards like, uh, you know, like Fonz Cagatti and, and, and all yeah. of these guys, you know, yeah. who just completely single minded in their, their quest for domination and are about the complete opposite of what they're publicly preaching, which of course you'd expect.
2: I, I, I will have to say, though, I think it, and it's a good conclusion of Universal Century to an extent, especially yeah. a, a good conclusion of the idea of the new type. Because if you think back to Mobile Suit, you know, there's like this optimism you know, that the new types are going to bring, bring a new world. Yeah. But in this, we see that basically the new types are used to destroy the world and that they've just been tortured people throughout, even though they have this great gift and a lot of people are envious and jealous of, you know, these gifts, um, that they're just, um, you know, just, they, they are tortured and they, and thing things just don't end up, uh, fin- ending up well for them. Yeah. And we see that with Uso. I mean, he's, You know, he's just kind of an innocent kid, um, you know, just getting caught up in all this stuff. And how he wasn't – how he did not break down, I don't understand. I mean, and uh, I I guess maybe in a lot of ways it's the reason why they use such a young pilot because, you know, supposedly they say, you know, psychologists say that young children sometimes rebound quicker from tragedies than older people do because they just don't know any better. But, man, I mean – he is probably the one that probably had the most loss of any of the pilots, I would say. Yeah. Of any true. of the title pilots. I, I mean, just everything. I mean, relatives, friends, teammates, ugh. People he just met. Yeah. <laughs> people he just met.
3: But uh, what about um? This is the first Gundam series I ever saw with so much religious overtones in the story, compared to you know the other ones where you know it was more so political and you know militarized, as opposed to this series where you know there was there was the the figure the 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 Christ figure in this show. You know, um, the, uh his uh, mother, man, right? Yeah, thank you. And um, she was she was seen as as someone to worship, and I always thought that made the show also significant to some degree. Because um, I I'd, I'd never seen another Gundam show before that one, and it kind it kind of it kind of gave it that cultish factor that kind of creeped you out, because of the fact that these people you know the the public ate this up, they ate it up, and in in all truth, do you believe she was capable of miracles? I mean, she was a new type, but I mean,
1: no, she, as, she really did have the abilities that that she that she, yeah, that she was so it's talented. just that, you know, the series definitely displays, you know, the dangers of. Um, Sort of this spiritual or religious or whatever belief being yeah. subverted and twisted for political gains. Fanaticism, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolute being... fanaticism. I mean, you just see these, you know, the sort of ideological purity that that's enforced in Zanskar. That's like, if you if you don't believe us, we're gonna throw you out into space.
2: Yeah. Rot. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, they were a lot. And this one, you did see that this, the members of the Zanskar were a lot more. Uh, believing in their ideals, you know, in some of the other shows we see, you know um, You know, especially some of the Xeon characters, you know, kind of Kind of questioning what they're doing and what's going on, but a lot of these guys They did not have a you know, because I guess a lot of it was because of self-preservation Just because just of what we said earlier Chris just said, I mean, there's there's a character that they actually launch in the space and Poor I mean, girl. because, you know, she screwed up on something and her punishment was, here's a space suit and we're going to just launch you out the torpedo thing of uh, this battleship. And however, you, if you survive, you survive. If when you the don't, then you up, don't. And, start praying. I mean, <laughs> the, the thing of, you know, with uh, the guillotine, I mean, people were so fearful of that thing. Oh, yeah. Because they, I mean, I guess one of the things that we kind of failed to mention is not only do they use the guillotine, but they... Publicly show these executions. Oh yeah, it was it was across everything. It was almost
3: like the the Salem witch
1: trials. If you weren't a believer, you were getting screwed
2: (laughs) (laughs) on public television.
3: Another thing Mm
1: -hmm. is, you know, compare back to the Xeon. In the Xeon, we saw a lot of perspectives of you know the average you know the average grunt soldier. You know your your Bernie types. But the thing, about the um, the Zanskar as a whole, but specifically also their elite Yellow Jackets, which is where a lot of these characters are from. You know the, the elite Yellow Jackets team um you know they're sort of more like the ss like these are the the people who you know they they drink the kool-aid and you know they believe this they're not the average soldier and they believe all this crap and they're in their positions of power precisely because they adhere to all of this nonsense and one of the examples you get otherwise of that is remember there was that episode with um that guy and his girlfriend they were both zanskar pilots and they were both engaged, they wanted to get married, they were nice, average people, but then, you know, the crazy situation forced them to end up killing each other. Yeah. Those are, you know, one of the few people that, you know, you come across on that side that are not crazy ideologues.
2: Yeah, that's it's true.
1: Average people, you know, doing something, and, you know, they get caught up in something that's bigger than them. But almost everyone you see in this series on the Zanskar side is a total, like, political, religious ideologue who's really devoted to, you know, the ideology that's preached by not Maria, but by Fonz Cagati.
2: But, um, yeah, it's, um, I guess, um, I guess the next thing I'll probably kind of talk about here is recommendations. Is this something you would definitely say that somebody, that a fan of Gundam or just a fan of Mecha in general should watch?
3: Honestly, unless you're not if not for anyone who hasn't been introduced to Gundam already. I guess that's that, that goes without really? saying, but You don't think that's no, I actually think you, it's you one of those be,
2: shows that you don't really need anything cuz to,
3: to me to me there's levels of where you go with this because watching Victory Gundam could turn someone off on the whole franchise if you're not already familiar with Gundam. To me, it it's of interest if you've watched other UC shows and you want to see where that universe ends up. Um, the, I, I should be
2: honest with you because I think it's think probably. I see what you're saying about yeah. like the the, the 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 you know being very depressing, but I think yeah. of the UC shows, it is the one show that you can watch without a basis oh, yeah. in because there's no. What about the original? There's no, yeah, you you really, there's no real, um, ama, you know, there's no real reference back to the original shows in there. Yeah, I it, mean it's it's like an it's AU so show. It's right. so far removed, so. Yeah. yeah, but I do see what you're saying when yeah, it comes to. Yeah, it's the to, tone of the show that yeah. gets you
3: down. If you're yeah. not used to that, I, it, to me, Tomino comes in two different flavors. There's mm-hmm. overabundantly happy, and then there's over, you know, overabundantly depressing. Well, not really overabundantly depressing, but, you know, there's different levels of depressing, but there's either happy or depressing with the shows, and Victory Gundam to me, I was only interested in seeing it because I saw other Gundam shows, um, like like Mobile Suit Gundam and Zeta and whatnot. To throw someone into Victory, I could not, not in good conscience, just say, "Oh, you should watch this one first because you know it's awesome." No, 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 God no. <laughs> but um, I I I think it's a great show. Regardless, it's just it's not a starter series for anybody who's who's, who's into Gundam.
2: That's true, Chris. In the
3: content.
1: I I would definitely agree. I mean. In in one respect, yeah, it's argued by some people that, you know, Victory was kind of the first alternate universe in a sense because it's so far removed from, you know, other Gundams. But by the Mm -hmm. same token, I think you really can appreciate the show the most when you watch it in context, having seen, you know, the the bloodstained development of that universe and how many wars and conflicts. And you see, you know, the evolution of the new type where it was first greeted as something with optimism and then they ended up being treated as something very differently it's just you know basically parts for for weapons to be used by those in power rather than the light and the hope of the future
2: yeah i'd probably say the same thing um i mean i i do think that if you do have a good basis in um gundam and you've seen some of the other uc shows definitely to take a look at it because um uh we don't want i don't want to scare anybody with it just you know (laughs) by some of the things that we said i mean it's not that it's a tough watch because it's bad it's just that it's that's not the reason the emotions it kind of evokes and conveys is they're very strong i mean probably some of the strongest of any of the gundam series
3: it's like when i feel like watching grave of the fireflies (laughs) i really gotta be in the mood to watch that movie you know (laughs) Mm. that's the way I go that far i would not go that far well i'm just saying though it it is it is a movie where you know things uh, uh, you know what victory has a much much happier ending than grave of the firefly so it's not fair to compare because i i will say the tone
2: i I will say though that the tone even with the happy ending on this yeah the tone just overwhelms the show because a show that we've talked about before a day on Mm mm-hmm people know how that ends. Everybody dies at the end, but to be honest with you, I felt a little bit more uplifting at the end of that at the end of that show than I yeah. did uh Victory. For whatever reason, maybe it was because the people got transferred to a different consciousness, but uh I mean, I wasn't as I can I see what you f-
1: I can see what you mean. Yeah, d- Victory it's not I wouldn't describe Victory as a happy ending. I would say it's more bittersweet. Very yeah. true. A pirate yeah. victory. Very just, much so. Well, what about um, going into
3: the tone? Anybody have any comments on Tomino himself at the time that he was doing the show? Um, you know, they, this is this is up for debate, and is you know it's been recorded in some way, shape, or yeah, form. Yeah,
2: I, I guess Chris. I guess probably the best thing to say is just maybe we know that there's all these theories about you know his state of mind or whatever, just maybe some things that you might be able to clear that up with, because I'm sure that's one of the big things people hear about the show after, you know, it being very uh, bloody.
1: A lot of people, I mean, there's like a thousand things that are said about Tamino on the internet, and usually 999 of them are wrong. So, you know, maybe he was depressed. Maybe he was pissed that, um, you know, that Bandai bought Sunrise and planned to make more Gundam shows even after he'd come back to do this one. I I really don't know. I mean, it's yeah. one of those things we're probably never going to know.
3: He does. Um, he didn't. He, he did publicly um admonish the series though after making it. Right. He um he just he, he didn't he wasn't too happy
1: with it. Or he says a lot because of because conflicting of things. And supposedly yeah. the uh, the the region two DVD. Uh, there's an interview with him where he says, "Don't buy this DVD." But I mean, if wow. you think about it, if there's an interview on the DVD box set and he's telling you not to buy that DVD. But you've already oh, done it. it. Yeah, I think take everything he says a little bit too literally. Uh, yeah. You know, I think that's probably just an example of him just, you know, kind of being snarky. Yeah. yeah. So Definitely. Which, which, which um I would not say from... there there's lots of rumors, oh, that he wants to disown it from the franchise, from have it yeah. ejected from the timeline. That's all garbage. That's all bull crap. You know, Very I true. would just say, you know, forget all of this crap. You yeah. know, whether he was depressed or not. Is really relevant mm-hmm. The show is what yeah. it is just watch yeah, it, it doesn't what it is, and who cares about what his mental state was?
2: Yeah you, you, I mean, and, and that is kind of an annoying thing because if it's anime or regular movies or whatever the the thing that bothers me the most about when I hear stuff about Tamino is, well, he was depressed when he directed this. I've never heard any other director get so much crap about their <laughs> mental state. About what a show is or what a movie is, and I'm kind of with chris it's like it, it it is what it is i mean what's done is is done. He, was he depressed? was he overworked? maybe yes, who knows we don't know, and I mean until you you sit down and and have that conversation with him, you'll probably never know that's so. true.
1: Things that he's supposedly said or, or not or supposedly disowned the show. I see this all the time. People argue online like, "Oh well, you know, if Tamino says it's a piece of crap, and I shouldn't watch it. Then it's probably a piece of crap if the director says it." Like, but that's completely unsubstantiated. It's like every single thing that you hear on the internet that's being that he supposedly said probably he never did say. So yeah, that's true. You, you really. I mean, if, if a show was a complete train wreck and it was obvious and the director came out and said, you know what, they took it away from me, they did all these things I didn't want to have done, don't watch, it's a piece of crap. That's fine, but the show's not yeah. a piece of crap, and to have all of yeah. these vague rumors posted by a bunch of, you know, whoever, you know, with no substantiation, say, oh, but he said this, so it must be a bad show. That's what annoys me, that I see all of these, you know, complete yeah. rumors, the majority of them being false, if not all of them being used as justifications to attack the show or its quality
2: yeah but that a noise yeah i hear you but well, um I at, guess... least
3: he did, at least he didn't lose his penchant for um set pieces that <laughs> that 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 last battle oh yeah oh my god the stakes were so high <laughs> the fatality count man oh. i just i i it still burned in my brain i'm sorry that the, just to see falling bodies oh yeah oh, scores of them jesus
2: <laughs> but and
1: um, the only two times in in Gundam TV history that the final battles actually fought on Earth.
2: Yeah, yeah. that's true.
1: The other the other one would be in this follow up show. Yep. Yes. yes, which we we'll won't be getting to for a long time.
2: Not for a while. Not maybe. for a while. But uh, any final thoughts, Solbro? I can't wait to talk about G Gundam. <laughs> any final thoughts, uh, Chris? On uh,
1: you know you know just to to sort of like summarize what we said. You know, I don't want to like overstate. You know the the bleakness. Of this series, make people think that it yeah. is like *Great with the Fireflies* because it's not. It's not. Yeah. I also don't want people to think that they shouldn't watch it. It's, you know, I think it's a, it's a great show. Just check my reviews. Um, yeah, it's but thoroughly entertaining. I think you should definitely watch it. It's thoroughly entertaining. It's definitely up there with all of Tamino's other shows. It's, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a great series. Just, you know, watch it after you've already been introduced to *Universal Century* and have explored other parts of that timeline first. But that's pretty yeah. much it.
2: And just my final thoughts. I'm I pretty much going to say the same thing uh, that Chris and Solbro and that we've kind of discussed. You know, don't go by just because we're saying it, it you know, it does have kind of a, a, a dark tone. But, um, you know, that's not the overall thing of the show. It's it's, you know, it, it is a little darker. There are some there are a lot of good points in it. And the story is very interesting and the growth of a lot of the characters Um, you know we said a lot of there's a lot more characters that got developed in this than i think um some you know the, it just wasn't always just uso right? some of
3: the best stories in this in, in gundam's in the gundam franchise are told in that show yeah too.
2: pretty much but um, you know um if you're a fan of gundam you've seen the uc shows and you haven't been able to seek uh, victory yet definitely go out and take a look at it and let us know how, what you think but uh this is going to be the conclusion of um, round eight of Gundam Roundup, and we are actually in the next episode, we're going to be doing the ninth installment, which is going to be the first uh, alternate century Gundam um, that was done. Uh, this is uh, Mobile Suit, Mobile, actually Mobile Fighter G Gundam, oh. which is actually with the subtext of... Solbro's reckoning in this one because Solbro, you will have to get tuned into this one because Solbro will get chastised by myself Neo because (laughs) of his original things about G Gundam and I will call him out because I will just put it this way I told him for two years to watch this show, (laughs) but that we will continue that in the next episode, which will be episode twenty-two of Gundam, and it'll be the ninth installment, Mobile Fighter G Gundam. And we are out. You're listening to Gundam at MAHQ.
1: If you need a cake, but you don't want something boring from the local supermarket or bakery, in the South Florida area, try EpicSugarWorks.com. This bakery specializes in creating cakes based off of your favorite anime series, video game character, or whatever custom design you're looking for. Their online store also features anime and video game themed chocolate lollipops, as well as gift certificates if you want to give something to somebody. So if you're looking for a cake that's above the norm, Go to EpicSugarWurst.com. It's epically delicious.
2: Gun- Damn these glasses, son! Yes, sir! I
1: gun- Damn thee!
3: Welcome back to the show that has more stunts and props than Super Dave. That's right, gun- Damn! at MAHQ. And we're continuing our reviews from Macross Frontier. This time it'll be episodes 15 through 19 and we'll just get the ball rolling going into episode 15, which is called Lost Peace. This is pretty much an overglorified recap episode with some plot elements tr- thrown in but um, it's a good episode overall. We have a flashback back to Gallia 4 where Grace is really, um, a little bit humored by the fact that she's about to blow up the planet practically and she actually has a remote conversation with a collective of voices but that's pretty much in their own consciousness that revealed that the Macross Global was once her home in the past. And then we flash forward after the destruction where she is her new cybernetic body is being activated and she gets back into action and then we flash forward to the hospital where we see both Alto and Ronka running to each other there. The Collective behind all the machinations going on helps to narrate the episode. They point out a few things as the recap commences that the Macross Frontier was selected as a target by the Collective for their purposes. They unexpectedly ran into something that they call Q1, which supposedly is Ronka, which was assumed dead from the encounter on the Macross Global 11 years prior. However, the Collective discovered that Q1 was alive and well, but at the time a low-level priority. The Collective admits that they purposely led the Vajra to the Frontier also, and that right now 72% of their objective is complete. Later on, you get to see what happens to Cheryl. She's in the hospital, and Grace actually pays her a visit, much to her surprise. While the nurse isn't looking, Grace switches out a vial of blood that was just drawn from Cheryl with another. The Zentradi uprising, ironically, helped to bolster uh, Ronka's popularity, as is also revealed in this episode. And later on, when we see Grace, when she goes outside after leaving Cheryl in her room, she refers to Operation Fairy 9 as a failure. And this is in reference to um, Cheryl as well. And it's the, this project is to be scrapped in favor of a more essential pawn, which is Ronka. Elsewhere, Kathy and Ozma express their suspicions of Brera, Leon, and the controversy behind their appearances and their their how they're playing in this whole conspiracy that's going behind the scenes. Back at the hospital, Alto visits Sh- Cheryl along with Ronka and they pretty much go on an outing back to the the mall where they hung out in uh, episode 6, I believe. Um reflecting on some of the old times. A nice musical scene breaks out. I'd like to refer to the scene as My Fair Alto as both uh <laughs> both Cheryl and Ronka both serenade him with um, their rendition of What About My Star and the public sees the duet and afterwards Cheryl has a momentary lapse of health, but she comes too. But at the same time some government men come for Ronka and Alta also gets paged to go meet up with the owner of the SMS which is I believe he's the owner of the SMS which is uh, Richard Birla. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is observed by Grace and Brera At the meeting where Ronka is pulled to she meets up with Leon who pretty much gives her the state straight dope even though he's creepy most of the time he's actually more forthcoming here than he normally really see. He expresses her importance in the fact that she needs a bodyguard and a new manager in the forms of Brera and Grace. And at the end of the episode, we see that Alto is in the midst of, a, um, of Richard Berla, which is, he turns out to be a Zentradi, who um, wants to express a few things to him. And play with trains. And have banging maids, too. <laughs> but for the most part, it's a recap episode. But um, they kept it interesting by putting in some important plot moments there and also um the collectives goal they um managed to say that um their goal is what the protoculture has not been able to achieve in five hundred years. I'm not sure what that leads to, but they're already cryptic as is. So 500,000. 500, thank yes, you. That's a little bit further. I um I, I shortchanged <laughs> it a little bit. But um what were you guys thoughts on this episode?
2: Um well I was, at first I was a little like oh 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 no recap episode uh but for a recap episode it was pretty good um you know th- just seeing some of the new stuff especially towards the end with um with ronka and cheryl and alto having a little outing and then we see this uh richard burla character come in and um you know seeing what he's all about but um you know uh, kind of a kind of a downer compared to the previous episodes yeah but um, you know, like I said, for a recap, you know, done 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 pretty well. Not great, but pretty well. So,
1: uh, pretty much, you know, same thing. It was just uh, kind of a interesting recap in the sense that they revealed a lot of plot points, but um, nothing nothing too special. And uh, I definitely think that that uh, little song battle that Ronka and Cheryl had was kind of uh, stupid and and kind of just oh. way to kill two or three minutes. It was kind of yeah. Awesome.
3: <laughs> I was expecting Rex Harrison, Rex Harrison
1: to show up. <laughs> <laughs> if he did, that would have been awesome, but that didn't happen.
2: Oh, it, it was, though. I mean, I, I don't want to, like, sit here and dwell and hate, but I will just say that because of the last few episodes to really go into something like this, I realize that you have to sometimes kind of ramp things down, but This one was just like, you know, it just, you know, it didn't really do too much. But I don't know. We get to see, you know, the whole thing with, uh, you know, uh, Grace, second gig, and, uh, you know, all this other crap. But, you know, not too much more, I can say. (laughs) (laughs) But not trying to hate too much. Soul Bro, anything else? No, I'm good. I'm good. So, I guess that would lead us to uh, episode 16.
1: Yes, and that is Ranka Attack. It starts off in the middle of a fight, and Alto's thinking about what Birla told him, and basically Birla's goal is to use the Fold Quartz made by the Vajra to get rid of all of the Fold Distortions and the Fold Faults, and basically unite the galaxy as one. So, uh, after that battle, Alto and some other guy, they're bringing back a couple of Vajra carcasses, back to the ship for study, and Michael points out that Alto seems to be more enthusiastic about his job lately, but Alto pretty much just shrugs off what he's saying. Back at school, things get a little weird, because now Brera is Ranka's bodyguard and he's just kind of hanging out in the back of the class with all these girls staring at him, to the point that even the teacher's like, hey, can you get rid of this guy? So suddenly, Alto starts yelling at him, and tries to punch him, and pretty much gets taken down in like two seconds, Jack Bauer style.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Like like a joke in front of everybody, and uh, that's 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 pretty pretty embarrassing. So you know later they're in a car and uh, Renka, she's telling Grace that you know she'd rather be working with Elmo and she doesn't want a bodyguard, but uh, Grace basically just says, hey you know it's, this is what the government wanted, so we have you got to do it. And then she gives her a uh, disc for what will be her next single, which is uh, this crappy, totally propagandized version of IMO. Yeah: That pretty much is, is propaganda in every sense of the word. And um, later, Grace has Ranka doing like uh, photo ops in some of the damaged islands, and Cheryl's kind of surprised to see on TV Ranka with, with Grace alongside her. And poor Elmo, he's uh, sort of drowning away his sorrows in the booze. He basically got, uh, got dumped and uh after that you have Ranka doing some recording for this new version of the song but it's not going so well and um she basically is uh talking to Brera and he says that uh you know he kind of feels drawn to her songs because um there's just something about them and um he says it makes him feel like the universe is embracing him. And she looks at his harmonica, and it looks kind of familiar to him, so she asks why it is that he knows the song that she knows, but he brushes her off and says it's top secret. Of course, leading into some some mystery. So you've got Alto walking through the city, again, thinking about what Beerla told him, and he sees Cheryl looking basically like a piece of crap sitting next to a, a fountain, and... Uh, she's about to collapse and he wants to take her back to the hospital, but she doesn't want to be confined anywhere. So he ends up taking her to his room on the quarter. Hey. You know, hey. And uh, when she wakes up, she starts punching him because she thinks he's doing dirty things, but they like, no, there's a misunderstanding. And then at that very second, Michael walks in and has his own misunderstanding. And says, Hey, you know, you're supposed to put a, a hanky on the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want privacy. <laughs> and Alta's like like no way would I be with a, a woman like this which causes more trouble. But then uh they're trying to like hide her desperately when Kathy calls and says that they have a secret mission to uh protect Ranka. Which of course leads to Ozma yelling to Creepy Leon about using uh Ranka in battle, but Creepy Leon just says, Hey, you know, she agreed to do this on her own, so you know, what are we gonna do? And uh, you know, once they're launching Michael makes this comment that, uh, there's a lot of higher-ups in the military who support the, uh, the Minmei attack, but, uh, Kren, she's a little more skeptical because she says that even though music worked on the, uh, the Zentradi and the proto Devlin, you know, the, the Vajra are basically just stupid animals. Yeah. So, um, you've got Ranka who is, uh, protected in the heavily armored, uh, Koenig monster that Canaria flies, and, uh... Of course, Ozma's concerned about her, and he asks her if this is what she really wants to do, and she basically, you know, says it is, and that she wants to do what she can. And um, on the quarter, just as the battle's about to begin, Cheryl sneaks up onto the bridge and everybody's like, well, what the hell's going on here? And she says she just wants to, you know, watch what's going on with her own eyes. So you've got this battle starts, and uh, Ranka starts singing her little propaganda song and grace eventually picks up a uh, a fold wave coming from her and um the vajra you know they they stop for a minute so the sms units they take this opportunity to start cleaning house with them but then the Vajra start attacking again so um all hell starts to break loose and some of them are going towards the koenig monster so Alto's trying to fly in to help provide some cover, and then out of nowhere, Brera shoots right through his wing to get to the Vajra, and basically yeah. is saying, "Hey, you're useless. I told you that I'd protect her. Just get the hell out of here." Yeah. So pretty much the uh, the battle ends, and uh, you kind of got the uh, you know the bridge bunnies kind of joking that uh, that Ranka is like the the. She's like the new Minmei and and Bobby says you no, know, that's that's too outdated and and she's really the new the new <laughs> <laughs> so that pretty much was the end of this episode. What did you guys think
2: much better than the last episode um but um you know kind of the predictable thing that we knew that we were going to have the kind of Minmay attack going um I do you know it it it's um <clears throat> it's predictable but it's actually it's kind of nice the way they do it um you know they you know this one i guess there is something that you know going on cuz we see with the detection of the fold waves that um I, they didn't really mention that before did they or did i miss that that she, her voice produces or that song you know her singing that song produces the fold waves before i think this is this, the, this is kind of talk about yeah, it yeah yeah that was kind of interesting so we, we kind of solidifies why the vajra have always been kind of affected by it when they um when they hear it but um this one i actually kind of felt bad for uh Ronka a little bit because you can see she's starting to feel the the pressure of you know having all of this um uh, all this hope being bestowed upon her, like she's the, you know, the key to defeating, you know, the Vajra and, you know, that they're forcing her to take a song that's like special to her and then just kind of making it into like a, a propaganda tool. And, um, you know, but. Come
3: on, man. This is IMO the remix.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I was kind of feeling kind of bad for her on that. And, you know, it. I did kind of enjoy the, you know, the little comedy in the beginning with, uh, you know, with um, Cheryl and Alto in her room and stuff. And, uh, you know, you could definitely see that, you know, part of the reason why I don't think she wants to go back to the hospital is I think she just wants to stay with him. So, or, or, you know, be by his side. But, um, you know, other than that, a pretty good episode. Um, You know, the action sequence, very good. We get to see that, you know, some of the stuff is getting ramped up, especially with Alto. You know he seems more and more comfortable being the pilot and um you know he's he's more focused on what he's trying to do so uh other than that you know definitely improvement from uh episode 15.
3: it was a solid episode i like i like the fact that at the end of, you can see the, the a little bit of a little bit of concern on ronka's face for the fact that I, I think she's starting to get a you know this this intuition that you know maybe what they're doing to the vajra might not be the the best plan of action. I, I think she may feel a little guilt because of her connection to them, but um I don't think she knows the how how connected she is to them yet. Um, I did like this episode as the coming out of the fanboy, for she got um for she got uh Barrera admitting that he enjoys Ronca's songs, <laughs> and then you have um Bobby giving full props to um Fire Bomber and Bas- Basara later on in the episode, and it's like well that's cool, but um. For the most part you guys hit the nails on all oh, the nails on the head. It was it was an excellent episode. Um it nice to get back to the flow of a, a regular Macross episode as opposed to the recap we got beforehand. It sucks that Elmo. He he lost his um, meal ticket. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm sure there'll be a I'm sure we'll see him again. But um I, I do like the fact that um Ronka is is all grown up now. And um is mm-hmm. just having to deal with that fact. And um other than that, um that's a pretty good episode. Help
2: I guess rest. that will bring us to episode seventeen, which is uh entitled Goodbye Sister. Oh no. Which actually should have been called uh, Attack of the Pineapple Cake Salad. <laughs> oh my god, Senpai, why? and uh, but
1: <laughs> that might have been a little bit but, too long for the screen. You think? <laughs>
2: uh but uh <laughs> sorry folks. But um, we begin this episode with Ozma sitting in his apartment, and he's kind of reminiscing about when he brought Ronka to live with him 10 years ago. One of the big things that he did that really brought her out of her shell when she was little was he baked her a pineapple cake, and she told him that it was bad because <laughs> he was all proud that he was able to do the cake, but he was, it was kind of bad. So we get that. We get to see him. He's really starting to have that kind of empty nest type of feeling that people have, uh, you know, when sisters or brothers or children kind of leave. So we get back to the Macross Quarter, and we see Alto and Michael actually doing chores in their X-gears. They put them on manual, and they're having to like back and forth through the hangar deck because it's punishment for sneaking Cheryl aboard. Then we see Osba come around, and he tells Kathy that he wants to speak to her later about something important. Then we get to see Michael's meeting Karan at a cafe, and in typical Michael fashion, he's asking her to introduce him to another woman that's in the Fortesumical department. Of course, she explodes in a fit of jealousy, but then he covers her mouth when he sees Luca across the street getting into a black limo. Uh, we get back to see when uh, Ozma finally meets up with Kathy. And she tells him that somebody's involved. somebody with implants is involved with what's going on. Uh, I guess cybernetic, not the ones that we're used to. Not boob implants, folks. Ozma thinks that some of the people from the galaxy are some of the suspicious ones. And of course, uh, Kathy finally realized she thinks that uh, creepy Leon's involved with it, too. As they're leaving, Ozma asks Kathy out of the way if she remembers how to bake pineapple cake, and, and then of course uh, we get her in her room, lying on her bed, thinking about her past with Ozma. So kind of a reminiscing episode so far. We see later that Alto's like climbing up these two buildings, and he's sneaking into Ronka's room he mentions that, speaking with her, that everybody's happy that she's out there with him, because the fighting's going to be easier for them. Those two kind of talk, and I guess the reason why he had to sneak in was because she's got a ton of bodyguards, and they're just not letting anybody in there. Uh, Later on, we see um, at one of the government buildings, uh, Creepy Leon's uh, speaking with Luca about the Fold's Quartz, which we find out is only produced inside of Vajra bodies. Then some more conversation with these two, we find out that SMS was originally a transport company that helped guard the transports that would go between the fleets and luke is talking about how monopolizing transport and communication on galactic levels amounts to basically galactic control both uh, creepy leon and, and g tell luke of, that their objectives are different than that we get- Luca kind of figuring out what's going on here but then I guess um, you know creepy Leon is you know kind of throwing some stuff his other way there later on we see Ozma's going outside the research facility in Island 3 where some Vajra corpses are being studied gets down to a tunnel under the facility gets breaks through the grate and just as he's about to get in there Brera arrives and tells him to stop Ozma pulls out his gun opens fire and of course Brera easily dodges him disarms him and then Ozma notices Brera's harmonica and And thinks back that, you know, I've seen you before. Then all of a sudden we get another Vajra attack. They come in, the nuns and SMF forces fire the reaction weapons, which they find out have no effect this time. And then Savajra opened fire on the Macross Quarters Bridge, but luckily uh, Ozma's out there with his pinpoint barrier and blocks it. He made the impossible possible there. And, <laughs> and then he starts attacking some Vajra, and he finds out the same thing. Uh, that, you know, they're a lot tougher than what they were before. Barrera's out there and says that basically the right now has become the past and that the past attacks won't work anymore. Basically comments that the Vajra are constantly evolving and that injury data is shared between them all, meaning that future Vajras will be immune to whatever attacks nuns or uh, SMS throws at them. This is when it gets really interesting because I start getting deja vu on things for all the other anime shows I've seen, but of course Ozma doesn't really care. His Valkyrie's kind of messed up, but he's going to keep fighting for whatever weapons he has, even if he's down to his teeth and fingernails and they said he wouldn't be a man if he couldn't protect his sister or the woman he fell in love with, which is, of course is broad. Broadcast over over the bridge of the quarter, and everybody looks back at Kathy. <laughs> and uh, then he uh, does a classic move. He turns on some fire bomber, and uh, he—well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he turns it on or if it's just playing in the background. No, he, didn't turn. he did turn it on, didn't? Damn straight. He? But, yeah, he turned on some fire, fire bomber, and he breaks out his prog knife, and he takes out a red Vajra. Then all of a sudden, we see Rocket. <laughs> was doing her debut show singing Interstellar Flight and you know the battle concluded and then Bronca goes to her debut show here and everybody's pretty much showing up for this one and we see Kathy sitting with Ozma, and tells him how surprised she was by what he said during the battle and then we see Alto, Michael and Luca watch the show in another box and here we go on the Macross quarters deck in the hangar deck, there, one of the technicians goes inside Ozma's Messiah and looks back and is shocked by what he finds. We've never seen that in a Macross before. Then we go back to uh, Ronka's show. Kathy asks Ozma if he wants pineapple cake that she just baked, and he said nothing. And then she looks at him and is shocked to see him in a pool of blood. Oh my God. And then. And he but, dies. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> that 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 was uh, that was original Macross. But luckily in this, um, he is bucking all the stereotypes of senpai right now in Macross. He actually survives his wounds. He's in the hospital, and uh, Ronka later on visits him in the hospital, and they discuss that pineapple cake that he made when you know when she was young. Kind of closes out with Cheryl running into Grace and saying that they have some things to uh, discuss. Um, boy, where to start on this what episode here? Um, just from the beginning, when I heard about pineapple cake, it just brought back other memories of things. Um, actually the way everything was kind of playing out and, and the, and the amount of screen time that Ozma had in this one, I, I honestly thought this was going to be the end of old skull leader there.
3: His swan song.
2: And, um, boy, uh, did they throw us for a loop when he, um, you know, later on when he's sitting with Kathy and he's in his pool of his blood cause he's like, Oh boy. Uh, We're going to have one of those. But it it was actually nice to see that they (laughs) were able to save him and uh, that he's doing well. But, um, you know, uh, some other interesting points here is that poor Luca seems to be getting dragged deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole with uh, Creepy Leon and Grace uh, by helping them out. And, um, you know, the whole revelation now that the Vajra are basically sharing uh, battle information with their with their, you know, with their teammates there, and actually evolve to, you know, uh, repel different, different effects of different weapons on them. So uh, that was kind of a, um, kind of, you know, something to kind of shake things up there. Especially when we see that for the past couple episodes, uh, SMS and Nuns they've actually been kind of having their way against the Vajra, especially with the debut of Raka Attack, and uh, so. You know, other than that a, a pretty pretty good episode. Um, you know, uh had a little bit of everything in here comedy, drama, um, lots of action, and uh, it was kinda nice to see that you know, playing his homages to the other Macrosses with you know, playing Firebomber and then the whole thing with the technician and the uh looking in his uh in his uh you know uh Valkyrie there. But it was it's nice to see uh Ozma make it i'm, I'm kind of glad that he didn't go so i'll kind of pass it off to one of you guys on your thoughts
1: basically uh this whole episode if you think about it is is shoji Kawamori laughing at us
2: <laughs> pretty much yeah
1: it's like he throws up every single sign that mm-hmm. osmond's gonna die in the exact same way you know the, oh. the, the technicians with the cockpit and you know the the pineapple dessert flavored thing and the sudden focus on Ozma and the sort of feelings he has, the pool of blood it's like every single thing that you think is going to just indicate aha <laughs> Ozma's getting pineapple saladed nope yep. <laughs> there's just Kyle Morton laughing at us and everybody the fell for should've... it everybody fell for it until that last minute yep. <laughs> the cake should have been
3: the dead giveaway since it didn't involve salad this time <laughs>
2: I just I'm just glad that he didn't go through with it. I you know.
1: Well, you know, aside from the whole like like haha, jokes on you, I thought there was a lot of interesting bits. Um continuing thing about uh and Kathy investigating all of Creepy Leon's creepiness. Uh mm-hmm. the revelation that the you know, the Vajra are constantly evolving and basically that they're they're the Borg, so it's you know, resistance is futile. <laughs> <laughs> and we find out, you know, more stuff about the uh you know, the Fold Quartz, which comes from the Vajra, and, and Luke sort of figuring out what it is that Birla is after, and and Leon says that he's, you know, after different things, and of course we see the return of, of the mysterious G for Lucas' benefit, although we already know who, who uh, G is. Yeah. Yeah. Some nice, aside from all the nods to the original series, it was sort of nice to see uh, some bomber songs being used in two dramatic effect are just like in the same way they were using Macross 7 since Macross 7 has no soundtrack and everything is set to Fire Ember songs, So it worked yeah. just as well here as it was done, you know, in that series. And, um, of course, there's some sort of a nice little cliffhanger where finally, uh, you know, you got Grace and Cheryl confronting each other and some, you know, cards have to be laid down into the open about what's going on between the two of them. So overall, I thought it was a very solid episode.
3: It was uh, probably probably my my second favorite episode of the series. Especially with all the things they want to throw you for a loop on, all the similarities and whatnot, and just other things having to do with like the the bad fates of other characters in other shows, like when he um he goes undercover to try to find out what's going on with um um what their what the plans are for Ronka and um gets caught by when he gets caught by uh I'm drawing the blank yeah, thank you Brera and um, that little Dukaroo that they have, where um, he brings a gun to a knife fight.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, Barra probably the only example of where you can bring a knife to a
3: gunfight and win. Exactly. And how about that new OP man? That new opening, that opening sequence, man, with the with the picophone is dancing. It was awesome. <laughs> if uh, you don't recall, that opening for that episode was like the little 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 chibi Ronka Chan dancing and and that, that song I that's going on. It, try to block it out. Oh man, don't block it out, man. That was wonderful animation, uh, man. Fluid <laughs> Ronka. But some other things I I dug about this episode. Um, apparently Alto is taking up parkour to see Ronka. <laughs> Going up that building in order, uh, the, the going up the building on that on the side of that alley just to get into a room, and um he gets tackled by um Icoon when he gets in there, just gets his ass beat by Pokemon apparently, and um but that's all right he satiates him with a paper airplane, which which Icoon then uh, knocks down and rips to shreds very little yeah. kind of symbolic there,
2: yeah very uh, symbolic. it was
3: delicious. And of course, um, as Neo pointed out, um uh, Ozma had to pull the La Flaga maneuver and live. <laughs> it was beautiful. I I I stood up and applauded. And that that's the that's the example of a real man. I wish that um Ozma was the main character in every episode of the show. <laughs> Dude is pure awesome. I'm so glad he lived. And um but that little psych that tried to pull this, pull on us at the very end was probably my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad that he's um he's he's doing all right and he's just out of um He's just he's just in the hospital for the time being, not completely out of the show, so that's cool. But I love this episode, and I I can't I I can't praise it more.
2: So I guess <laughs> that would bring us to episode eighteen.
3: Episode eighteen.
2: What you got for us? ain't
3: soul. This episode, and hopefully I read this right. Uh, episode eighteen is fold fame. And some of the major things that happened in this episode, I'll try to be quick. Cheryl confronts Grace about her new client, Ron- uh, which is Ronka, and asks questions about her connection to Vajra. Cheryl also gets the cold, hard truth that goes into her origin about being a street urchin and later on being used for Grace's purposes and hints at her mortality coming to an end. There's also a new opening in this episode, for those who don't know. Cheryl is further berated by Grace, reveals that her disease was never cured. Elsewhere, the president believes the Vajra threat might be behind them and they can get back to the real mission, finding a planet to call home. The long-distance full project was approved by the Macross F government, reducing the trip duration from a 1,000 light years to 800 instead, but this will be a strain on the resources and the people pretty much the citizens are going to have to ration hardcore in order for this to take place. And elsewhere, um, Alto gets a call from Ozma and visits him in the hospital, and Ozma pretty much asks him to keep an eye on Ronka and protect her, not as his commanding officer, but more so as the brother of Ronka, and pretty much asking him to protect him since he won't be there to do so. He gives him 24 hours to make an appointment. Later on, Alto sees Ronca on public TV, and there was a conversation about Cheryl's importance and how it it, it pales in comparison to Ronca. Back at the school, Karan and and Michael discuss a possible cure for Cheryl, thanks to them investigating her illness. Cheryl has something called the V-type infection, which is a rare disease and Michael lets it slip to Karan that Cheryl is indeed the one that's infected. They find an article report from Dr. Mal Gnome, a character of course from Macross Zero, that talks about the phenomenon or the prevention and management of the V-type infection. And there's a picture of Mal and in it, as part of the team that investigated this, Grace is shown. They also find Cheryl's patient report just at the same time that she arrives at the library. Cheryl asks the two not to tell Alto about her disease. Michael calls Alto and stresses that he needs to meet up with Cheryl, otherwise he'll regret it forever. Alto runs runs off to find her. Um, Cheryl, in the rain, contemplates about being used like a doll in her short life. At the same time, there's an emergency press conference about the Fold project and Ranka's part in the operation. Cheryl um, watches while realizing that she's useless, and at that time, Alto arrives. Also, Alto's brother arrives and uh, takes Cheryl into her custody, saying that he'll take care of her, and that she called him to pick her up. At that time, there's an emergency call for Alta to mobilize. The bridge crew also are mobilized back to the bridge as they're fighting over their, all the different sales going on. There's an early end to the conference. The powers that be want Ronca involved in the uh, operation that's about to happen since the Vajra are now getting ready to attack the ship. And the president objects to her being involved, fearing her safety. Also, the president advises against the city folding. Alto is almost shot down but is saved by the Ronca envoy during the battle. And Leon reveals Ronca's intention to the president, which is to protect everyone by placing herself in the line of fire the president understands and the ship prepares for battle the destroyer is attacked and brer protects it and alta realizes that he- can't protect her as well as Brera does, so he just does his part in the battle. The Frontier also fires the main gun, and everyone gets clear, and it decimates the Vajra that they're fighting against. The shockwave of death also hurts Ronka, and her stomach begins to glow again. And everyone folds once the coast is clear, using the new fold system. And during the fold, Ronka sings, While elsewhere, unknown at the heart of the Vajra mothership, but just elsewhere, a sleeping creature stirs in the reaction to her song. What were you guys' take on this?
2: Definitely uh, kind of ramping up things here. I, I guess you know the the president's given kind of that false sense of um peace there thinking that because they were able to get rid of the vajra before that um you know that that they can get back to doing what they need to do um you really get to kind of see the effect that the vajra attacks have had on um on the the fleet especially when we're seeing that they're approving this long range fold project and you know, that they're going to have to be doing some, a lot of serious rationing and yeah. we see that a lot of it's due to these attacks. So, um, and it's a kind of nice to see that, um, you know, um, uh, what is it that uh, Jeffrey actually kind of realizes that even though the Macross Cannon is one of the few things that they have that working with them, that they got to be real careful on it, especially that they know now that they've been that the Vajra have been uh, evolving. So, um, you know, it it kind of it kind of gave you that sense of panic, you know, and, and it really kind of conveyed the things that, you know, this is starting to get to be a real desperate, um, a real desperate Um, time for these people and in some ways it seems a little bit more it seems probably of of the Macross shows that I've seen before um, this one is really you get to see that real sense of despair Um, you know the only other time I could really think of it is you know after the first show uh, or during the first show after they're on Earth and they got kind of that post-war arc there where it's kind of you know kind of seems kind of desolate and desperate and you know all the the things are happening but this even seems so a little bit more larger scale and you know of course we get to see that i, I gotta find out what the heck is going on with ronka's stomach here because we know it's not a new type baby and uh she so some, she needs some pepto yeah she be all right <laughs> she needs something a modium or something but uh <laughs> but uh, a, a pretty solid episode um you know the 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 talk with uh cheryl and grace Uh, at the beginning of the episode was pretty intense and you know you really if you didn't feel sorry for Cheryl before you really start feeling sorry for her when you start seeing you know how she came up and basically how she's you know yeah she she had a lot of things being a celebrity and stuff but she was just basically being used in the end uh, Mm -hmm. like most people are so you know in in those positions Mm -hmm. but um, you know just continuing on I mean this is this is where definitely this show is getting is is starting to really hit its peak and um you know looking out for for bigger better things but Chris what did you would you have to think about this episode
1: For me uh probably the most interesting part is uh that you see Cheryl literally get thrown down into the gutter yeah and find out that that's you know sort of where she came from and that she's just this just this dirty little street urchin I almost half expected her to when they showed to her as 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 you know a dirty little child I half expected her to say Please, sir, may I have some more? Some more? <laughs> <laughs>
2: more?
1: Straight out of Dickens. Yes. And I mean, she just gets hit with this revelation that Grace just so nonchalantly and, and is kind of like just so happily and cheerfully laughing at it, like you know, oh. you're gonna, you're gonna die—not just as a singer, but as a person too. Yeah. You're, you're useless. And just that bitch. whole scene. Where she's out in the rain and she's just coughing and falling over, people are yeah. bumping into her and, and she's just crying, and it's just really, really depressing.
2: Yeah, it is.
3: And all of a sudden, nobody notices her anymore. That's that's the most amazing thing to me. Yeah.
1: And that of all people, you know, she she wanted so desperately for it to be Alto to come to her rescue, and surprise, it's out of nowhere Yasaburo.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's true.
1: And uh, of course, now we come back to we were discussing earlier the whole thing about Doctor Mao Nome.
2: Mm-hmm, who, mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, we see very clearly this picture, this screenshot, uh, you know, it's on, on my review. You see that it, it is definitely the Mao that we saw from Macross Zero, just 50 years older, and uh, she's joined with, you know, her fellow researchers, uh, Ron May, who is Roncha's mother, and uh, Grace, who, of course, looks identical. So. Yeah. The the mystery's starting to become more clear and uh definitely I think this sets up into our last arc where, you know, everything's really gonna start hitting the fan after mm-hmm. this. I, I I completely didn't notice that, um god, I'm daft. I completely
3: didn't notice that was Ronka's mom in that picture. Oh my god. Yeah. I need to be fired. Where have you been haven't you been <laughs> paying attention that she's been shown plenty of times? Like a million yeah i just i I, my my eyes were actually more focused on mal just to see her you know i was just it's like wow it's cool to see an actual character from macross in this show outside of the the first couple episodes where you see a little bit of um hikaru and misa and uh and the gang in those still shots and then this is like the first macross character i've seen since Mm -hmm. and it's pretty cool to see even if it's from macross zero it was it was neat to see her especially after she was mentioned in the earlier app but
1: by the way Bonetta. it's, it's uh, interesting to note that uh Ran Cheryl's I mean uh Ranka's mother is played by uh Maya Sakamoto, who also the great Maya Sakamoto who also oh, yeah. sings the first opening song, Triangler, which leads us to episode nineteen, also titled Triangler. Well Look done, Mr. Segway. Well
2: Look done. At you. <laughs> You're getting good at this.
1: Yep, doing them segues. So, um you basically start off we've got uh Ranka, she's having a dream where she's crying and her brother's there with her. And while she's sleeping, uh, good old Icoon starts to glow and runs off into an air duct. And uh, kind of creepy, Brera's, uh as a bodyguard, he's on the roof playing IMO on his harmonica and you've got I watching him from nearby. And then the next day you've got uh, this whole parade down the street of what's been declared IMO Memorial Day. And yeah. you've got uh, Howard riding in an open air limo, totally uh JFK style.
2: I know, I saw that. I was like, oh boy, where's where's the grassy knoll?
1: You know, everybody's disappointed that it's that it's that it's just him and yeah. uh Ronka's supposed to be where with him and nobody wants to see him. Uh but you've got Ronka very poorly disguised with just a big old nerdy pair of glasses just like Minmei did.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. She's looking for Ikrun and she's forcing Brera to help her, but he's kinda failing and and just pissing off alley cats
2: which was kind of funny which
1: is pretty amusing (laughs) yeah and then you've got alto he's crawling through the bushes thinking he's solid snake to sneak back into his house the back way And then as soon as he gets out of the bushes yasabro is just crouched there waiting for him yeah and he's basically happy that that alto came back because he had when he left he vowed that he never set foot back onto that property again so now alto's back and cut over to the uh, the quarter where you've got uh, the Bridge Bunnies complaining about how they're on duty and, and how nice it is for Kathy to have the day off. But you see Kathy and Ozma on their day off in civvies, and they're basically just putting on an act because they're being followed by Creepy Leon's Creepy G-Men. Yeah. And you've got still Ranka and Brera looking for uh, for Icoon, but they just can't find him. At the same time, you've got Michael being on the sort of date with Cran because he has to pay her back for that favor that she did him. Yeah. Some, mo- some Moe love. Exactly. With the law. Uh, So then you've got Alto. He meets with Cheryl and she's kind of in a pissy mood and she asks him why he came and then she reveals to him that she's tired of singing and she's going to try something else. And he's like, hey, what did you tell me about how you worked so hard to get to where you were? And she just writes it off saying that I was just fooling myself. He tells her that uh, he's going to be flying stunts at Ranka's concert and he wants her to be there. So you've got Grace and Creepy Leon talking about the new MDE bomb they created from analyzing fold courts. So it's kind of uh, basically a small smaller version of the Dimension Eater. And now that things are going this way, Leon decides to move forward with his uh, plan. So you see outside the school on a rooftop, there's a uh, sniper who's loading his rifle. Makes you wonder, of course, who he's going to target. So anyway, Alto, of course, uh, he's gone, but Yasaburo, he's telling Cheryl about Alto's mother, Mio, who was a frail woman and died when Alto was young. So Cheryl thinks that Yasaburo just brought her there as just sort of a way to lure Alto back and make him feel nostalgic about being at home. And Yasaburo makes this interesting comment, sort of along the same lines that that he made to Alto many episodes before. He says that being on stage and commanding all those the attention of all those people it's it's a sweet poison that you can't give up. And he says that she clearly knows that as a performer as well. So while uh, you've got Ronka and Brera searching, they have a little nice little character moment. She asks him if he has a, you know, a younger sister. Obviously, you know, the hints, as they've been going for many episodes, that he's her brother, and he says that he doesn't remember anything about his past, which of course is the same thing for her. And then later, you've got Ronka doing her little concert at school, and she starts off with Interstellar Flight, and you've got Alto and his gang. They're flying in their EX gears, and with uh, colored smoke, they create a little uh, little uh, Ronka. They ride her name in the clouds and and a little heart with an arrow through it you got Cheryl she's sort of watching the concert from the bushes nearby and she's about to leave but for whatever reason Kren's in the bushes too and she tells her not to go which is kind of odd that the two of them would be kind of hiding there in the forest but anyway, Michael's talking to uh, Alto and tells him that he's really dense and and he needs to give Ranka an answer because right now she's singing right at him and that Cheryl does the same stuff and you got Alto giving him this little zinger like you know he doesn't want to be lectured by some womanizer. Michael admits that he's just you know a coward when it comes to these sort of things. Luca, he had offered to help search for uh, Icoon, so then I say drew him a, a little picture of of a little Pokemon. And then when he sees it, he's shocked to realize that uh, it's actually a Vajra larva, which big surprise there. I mean, that's sort of what I was yeah. thinking since the very beginning. And Cheryl, she goes up to the rooftop where Alto is, and same time you've got Bajra breaking out of their eggs in a nest on the ship, and Kathy and Ozma, they go to arrest Leon, but he kind of laughs and basically says that everything's just as planned, and they're a little too late for uh, what's going on to stop him. And you got Howard, he's about to get back into his open air limo, and the sniper takes aim for his head. And with the concert pretty much being over, Renka's running up the stairs because uh, she feels that she can finally tell Alto the feelings that she has for for him, and then just as she busts out of the door of the stairwell, big surprise! She sees Alto holding Cheryl in his arms. Yeah, and that brings us to the end. So, what did you guys think?
2: Uh, pretty real good episode. Um, I like the I like the whole thing when Yasuburo took uh, you know, you know when he caught uh, Alto sneaking back into the house, and I like the whole fact that you know the the one thing when I guess what is it Alto walked in and he saw um. Uh, Cheryl in a kimono and he looked just like her, his mother and stuff. And I guess it's kind of, kind of paralleling things with him. Um, You know, it seems like he had a very good relationship with his mother. And I guess Cheryl probably in some ways reminds him of his mother. And um, we see that they're, you know, getting along. And, you know, at the end there, when we see him, you know, her in his arms, it's like, thank God that, uh, (laughs) you know, he finally chose wisely, but we know that Rock is running up the stairs to screw up everything. But I'm sure that'll be episode 20. But um, some of the other things that were crazy was uh, all the crazy cosplayers during the concert. <laughs> <laughs> and um, some of the crazy other things in there that were there, I don't want to say anything because Solbro hasn't seen 20, so... But just the kind of WTF thing, I think Chris knows what I mean. Like how could you not notice these things in the crowd?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe they just thought it was really good cosplay, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I don't know. And then but, again, there um... was like
1: some dork dressed in like like he looked like uh a, like a, in the red basher, but he looked like just yeah. a giant lobster.
2: Yeah, he looked like uh he looked like he was doing the lobster feast up here in Orlando. I thought he
1: was like uh like like the 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 spokes lobster for Red Lobster. Maybe they were a, <laughs> a promotion two for one or something or.
2: But um you know it was just um you know it was kind of a feel good episode in a lot of ways when it came to the whole thing with, between Cheryl and uh, and Alto. Um, we see the creepiness of creepy Leon. It's just creeping us out even more so because he's really getting his plan through and we could see with like the sniper that we know that that's probably uh, involving uh, maybe pineapple salading somebody someone's dad so um, sweet you know but other than that a pretty good episode I I, could have gone without the whole um, the whole flight thing the sky thing I thought that was a little silly (laughs) but you know hey whatever uh, like i was telling soulbro as he was kind of finishing up watching this it's like you know these poor people are at war and um you know they they kind of don't know what their priorities are at the time <laughs> but in every
3: Macross show though priorities are a little askew at times
2: but uh yeah and, and i'm with chris too uh, finding out that icun was a vajra larvae it's like ooh, wow big surprise there and you know definitely sees that like she's kind of the only one that has one of those things.
3: What are you talking about, man? That was a huge twist,
2: but, um, <laughs> but you know that, and, and then her uh, reacting with Brer, that was kind of, that was kind of nice to see too. Kind of comedic. And we're definitely seeing that, you know, they're, uh, you know, they've been hitting on that kind of brother sister thing with them. And we could definitely see that they kind of have that, you know, that kind of vibe with each other. But, um, you know, other than that once again we get a nice cliffhanger episode so i'll throw it over to Solbro on his thoughts here I,
3: I, I don't have too much to interject about this for the most part it was a build-up episode just like you said um just to ramp up the last pretty much to help to ramp up the last arc of the show um i do like the the two scenes of, of when. um Alto goes back home to visit Cheryl and he talks to his brother again and the fact that he finally came back home even though he tried to sneak in just like, you know, Snake and um, the other scene where um, Ronka finally you know, sees uh, Alto um, in embrace with uh, Cheryl. I honestly think that um, Cheryl may not have much time left in this world and uh, and if if anything Alto's not in a position to lollygag anymore. He's got to, um, you know, if he he does feel strong about the woman, um, he should she should make a move otherwise um poor girl will just be tortured for the rest of the sh- for the rest of her lifespan but i, I can't predict if she's going to live or die i just know that um right now things are not looking good and um but it was a good episode not much excitement just a lot of build up for excitement coming up but
2: i liked it i guess oh, just one last thing and i'll let you finish up chris is i just i find it so interesting that yasubura is like he's kind of like the wisest sage on here I mean I think mainly because I think he he's able to really read people well especially his brother and Cheryl because just some of the things that he says to both of them you know what he said earlier to Alto, you know, a couple episodes before, and then, you know, to Cheryl now, it's just, you know, he's, he's, he's like the only one that has any smarts to see what's really going on between those two. And, you know, he's actually, for being such kind of a minor guy, he's actually one of the more enjoyable characters in the, um, in the in the show but
1: i agree how does how does he read people so well when his eyes are always closed
2: <laughs> i i well, that's true he's, he's got
3: he's got mr fujisawa disease
2: yeah he's got something but he's just uh you know he's i don't know maybe he's uh maybe he's got maybe he's psychic or something he's a he's he's a new type or something like that but i don't know but chris anything else to finish up here or
1: Pretty much. Uh, this episode you know, has, has been done several times in this series. It's sort of like the calm before the storm, before a bunch yeah. of stuff starts to go down. You know, just laying the, the groundwork for that. Also, uh, one kind of general complaint about the show that I have, not so much in this episode, but it's been done in several episodes, including you know a couple of the ones we reviewed today, is that um, there'll be some important conversation between two characters we never actually see that conversation we just see one person having flashbacks about it later and I just find it really annoying you know once or twice is fine but they've done it time and time again and they still do it even more after this it's like Christ just show the damn conversation stop just flashbacking (laughs) to it later on especially end an episode by teasing into one of these conversations like with episode 15 and then episode 16 oh flashbacks it's kind of annoying to see it used I don't have a problem with That device, per se, I just am annoyed that every time there's some important conversation, they do it this way.
2: Yeah, it is constant, yeah. Especially towards this part of the show, I think, you know, maybe in the beginning you could get away with that, but now some of these things are a little bit more important that we need to, you know, hear the complete conversation. Yeah. Well,
3: um, that brings our Macross reviews to an end. Yes, we've come far. Ten episodes. But we'll be back in a few minutes with more Gundam at MAHQ.
0: You're driving along, you're driving along, and all of a sudden the kids are yelling from the backseat, I gotta go to the bathroom, daddy! Not now, goddammit!
1: Next
0: on level 9! But hey, we got the Star Wars Clone Wars video game to look forward to. Yes, they're making that. Are you serious? Yeah, but we at least we can wash our mouth out with the uh, Lego Batman that's coming out.
1: Hey, Lego anything is fun. I'm sorry. Real Legos, Lego video games, it
2: doesn't matter. It's freaking awesome.
0: He had the Lego Star Wars games. Those were hilarious. Yeah, I mean, those Lego Indiana good, Jones. What were they good. thinking? <laughs> but Lego Batman actually looks like it should be good.
2: I just think
1: it's great that in Lego Indiana Jones you can, um, if you uh, if you do the uh, the little Easter eggs and things and you run into certain Star Wars characters. If you do, if you run into all What's the Star Wars characters, you can unlock Han and play as Han.
0: In the Indiana Jones world?
1: Yes. Isn't that a paradox? It's They're the same pr- being. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: I know you're not trying to inject reality into this. It's freaking Lego, dude.
1: That's, that's worse
3: than me and the lightsabers.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. There's, there's one of them's like saying... Get off my plane. <laughs> the, Jesus does the president show up too? <laughs> does, does, the presi- does the president... Does the president... And then when the three of them are standing there, does a train go by with uh, the guy when sh- like, oh, with Shane? He it's says, like right I here.
1: didn't kill my wife. It wasn't wife. me. It was the one-armed man. And then Tommy Lee
3: Jones jumps in and says, I don't care. Oh, You don't remember that line? Yes, I, I, I recall <laughs> that line. <laughs> Did I take it too far?
0: I don't know. They just, they just might as well make a Lego Harrison Ford. <laughs>
1: First level, Patriot
0: Games. Just just make it just give us that sh- Second level, working girl. No, the <laughs> Working Girl? I was gonna say the witness, but that works. <laughs> <laughs> Third level? What lies beneath? Oh. Fourth level? Henry. Henry! <laughs> You you realize your controls stop working. <laughs> Cause you can't remember. Shoosh <laughs> What you got? Get him an ass kicked. There's no way I'm gonna win. Don't hit it stick down. I I did. Top Blitz! I did! I'm down 56 to 10! 56 to 10? Ah, there's no way you're gonna win. Unplugged the router. Isn't that gonna screw up the other guy's game? Sure it will.
2: If you can't win. Nobody wins. Did you
0: order the code red? Right? Yeah. damn right? I did.
2: All right, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us for episode twenty-one of Gundam at Mahq. Um, we, in this uh, supersized episode, we got up to date on our Macross Frontier reviews, going from episode ten to episode nineteen, and we also did the eighth installment of. Mobile Suit Gundam Roundup uh, with dealing with Mobile Suit Victory Gundam and we'll be dealing in the next installment will be Mobile Fighter G Gundam. So uh, that's it here. Uh, Chris, is there any news that you need to convey from the MHQ? Not right now. And Soul Bro, you want to let the folks know where you can uh, contact us?
3: Well, they can find uh, episodes of Gundam from the usual websites mahq.net Gundam.net and you can also find us on MySpace at myspace.com slash Gundam the show. If you want to reach us by email, just email us at Gundam M-A-H-Q at gmail.com If you want to give us any feedback on this episode, feel free to join the forums at mechatalk.net. You can find us on iTunes and Zune if you just type in Gundam.
2: Alright, well that's it on my side and for myself, Solbro and Chris, we'll be seeing you guys later in episode 22. Thanks for listening. We'll see you. Bye.
1: You're only capable of looking down on people like this. You're only fighting to satisfy your ego. How many people have died for you? Huh?
0: Do you really want to know? Huh? As of yesterday, 99,822 people. What? Lady, how many have died today? So far, we have received confirmation of the deaths of 82 White Fang soldiers and 105 of our own soldiers. I see. Give me their names later on today. Yes, sir. I will. Bless you! I remember everyone who sacrificed their lives in battle. How could I forget them? Noventa, Septum, Vente, Dorlan, Walker, Otto, Bunt. Their names are all etched into my heart.
1: How could you be such a... I can only
0: grieve over the lives lost by those who fought. But at least try to understand this. Not one of those people have died
2: in vain. Goddamn! I'm at MHQ's Shinjuku Station in the MHQ production.
3: I just do my job, man. I do what my God given abilities allow me to do, and I thank Jesus Christ for it every single
0: day. And do I enjoy what I do? Hell yeah!